Survivor 46 is here, and so is On Fire, the only official Survivor podcast, and we have a twist this season. The winner of Survivor 45, D. Vyadaris, will be joining us every week. We're going behind the scenes of the biggest moments, the how and the why things happen, and the strategy and analysis you can only get from someone like me, a Survivor winner. Listen to On Fire, the official Survivor podcast, wherever you get your podcasts. Does Monday at the office feel like a storm? Not with Microsoft Copilot. That feeling when Copilot gets everyone up to speed instantly? It's sunny again. When Copilot simplifies complex data so your teams can act, that sun's shining on a beach. And when Copilot uncovers hidden insights, you're on that beach with your people and you find buried treasure. That's Microsoft Copilot. Learn more at Microsoft.com slash AI for all. The Final Furlong Podcast is proudly brought to you by Tote. Think you can't get better value? Think again. 10% bigger dividends when you bet direct with Tote Plus at tote.co.uk. Oh, and the gravy from Tote was everywhere during Glorious Goodwood, which we'll talk about in a little bit. Packed show for you today. I'm Emma Kennedy. We'll be joined by top jockey Jim Crowley in a little bit to reflect on the fantastic career, epic career, of the sprinter Patash and how all of that came about as well. Uh, so Jim Crowley will reflect on that and look to the future with a potential superstar in Baid, one of the very best pundits in the game and the man who was commentating for the entire week at Glorious Goodwood, Simon Holt, will then join me to reflect on Glorious Goodwood. But first of all, a man who is becoming a regular guest on the Final Forum podcast, which I'm very proud to say. Champion jockey, Oshin Murphy. Welcome back to the show, my friend. Hi, Emmett. Thanks very much for having me on. And thank you very much for joining us and taking the time to talk to the Final Forum podcast listeners and uh, indeed massive fans of racing as well. Uh, Glorious Goodwood was a huge week. There were some things that I got right, some things that I got very, very wrong. Uh, One of those things being alcohol-free. And then then I thought to myself... Wait, didn't I ask Oshin about the possibility of the Qatar Sussex Stakes? And he's like, no, 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 no. We'll, we'll stick to we'll stick to Phillies only races. Um, <laughs> t- to be fair, to be fair, at that time, neither of us had any clue that Palace Pier was going to get ruled out and never, exactly. never yeah. be afraid of one horse. Uh, so you had the Falmouth Stakes. You were agonizingly beaten there. I know that the tactics of that race you were kind of forced into having to make the running. But in the Sussex Stakes, everything went your way and you took full advantage of that. Um, break down the race for me and just this was, sensational yeah. performance from alcohol-free beating Puddick Flair. It, it was always going to be a little bit tricky um, because uh, there wasn't lots of pace in the race. And I thought Ryan would go forward, but he was drawn away from me. And obviously he wasn't going to ruin his own race by setting a decent gallop on Order of Australia. James Doyle goes forward on Century Dream, but then everyone's going to want to follow him. So an alcohol free isn't that big. So if it was going to turn into a badging match to try and get cover drawn beside Tilsit, I was never going to win that. So I turned her head in the stalls and she still jumped quicker than most of them. I just had to wrestle with her for the first 200 metres in order to get her back and get her behind Kieran Schumacher and then after that, she travelled really nicely. Pace wasn't that hot. I thought 
kind of when we began to straighten up with four to run, the accelerator went down and we really took off from the four to the one. And I just tried to wait a little bit, edge out into daylight and come through the gears. And she loves that ground, as we know. She handles all types of ground. But when the going gets a little bit slower, typical Noni never, she relishes it and she toughed it out. And to be honest, I think Poetic Flair is still a very, very good horse and, uh, you know, a champion on faster ground. I just think slow ground probably blunts his speed. That's very, very kind of you to say. And I'm sure that Jim Bulger will be very pleased to hear that as well, that um, you'd be so gracious to say that. That being said, you're the best horse on the day uh, and the best jockey yeah. on the day as well. In, in terms of how the race was run um you were talking about how you thought ryan was going to go forward and um how really people weren't going to follow century dream because yourself and jamie spencer and kevin manning are thinking well we'll pick him up um is it fair to say that this race was run perfectly for you but for poetic flair for example it was just a bit of a nightmare like I, i saw people saying there should have been a pacemaker in there for, for Jim Bulger, which I thought was a bit harsh. Um, mm. Considering that most people then complain about pacemakers as soon as they're put into a race. Um, so in terms of how the, the race was run, was, was it just a case of you took full advantage of it, but if Kevin Manning could have it back, maybe he'd have gotten closer, but not quite beat alcohol-free on that day? Well, she just found so much for, for a flick. And um, at the furlong pole, I thought, you know, we've got a really, we've got a race on our hands, but um, a half a furlong later, then she's a decisive winner, if that makes sense. I just, mm. I think a pacemaker in the race probably would have suited me as well, because I wouldn't have had to fight her for that first, you know, 200 metres. Um, funny races, you know what Goodwood's like as well tricky track I could see what was going to happen on paper and I kind of unfolded exactly how I thought it would and um, unlike last year where I got stuck in traffic on Cameco I kind of from a higher draw this year I was able to able to make the right decisions you're still being hard on yourself this is one of the things you do you're incredibly harsh on yourself it's all right man. <laughs> that, that was last year and um i'm still not entirely certain that kamiko would have won that race even if you had got a clearer run by the way uh i know i know, I know. but but it is it, it is a, a part of your dna and a part of your makeup that um you you do social media videos where you speak directly to the, to the fans um and to listeners of this show, for example, um, you you do this in interviews with me, you do it in interviews with Lydia Hislop, um, you just come straight out and say, I messed that up, if, if you feel that's the case. And there's occasions where I hear you say that or see you say that, and I'm thinking, you didn't, Oshin. It's just that the horse got beaten. Is it just a case of that sometimes you feel as though you have to be hard on yourself after a defeat in a group one to keep yourself focused because this desire and will to win is something that we're seeing play out yet again in the flat jockeys championship. Yeah, look, um, you definitely don't want to make mistakes in big races, but it doesn't matter whether it's Wolverhampton on a Monday or ask it on a Saturday. Um, you know, you're never going to be perfect. I'll tell you what is quite interesting. Uh, uh, desert dreamer, ask it, 
got a lot of stick um, on social media about my ride on her. And um, she can be a little bit tricky because she doesn't jump and she tends to get back in races. But I felt like she had every chance at Ascot because she was beaten favourite. Um, I had a lot of unhappy punters, whereas <sighs> if she was a, a bigger price, I think um, there would have been no issues with the ride. But it's, it's people's perception. I think I just... Hold my hands up uh, is much easier than trying to make excuses. The five euro punters or five pound punters were having a go at you, were they? <laughs> they were, they were. Because, you know, it's your fault, Oshin, that they placed the bet. Yes, of course. It's your fault yeah, they placed the bet. Uh, I mean, how, yeah, you know, how dare you? How dare you? Yeah, I was eating in a photo having hit the front, um, like, with 100 metres to race, clear, clear on the whole way. For me, no excuse, but... Um, it, it goes like that. <laughs> um, you were talking about the fact that uh, she's a typical no and they never in the in sense that she will go on any ground, but particularly they seem yep. to excel on, on heavy ground. Um, what does that do in terms of your plans now? Because you've you've gone into open company and you've beaten the best three-year-old colt around. Uh, I think you're 100% right on better ground. Poetic Flair is probably going to be more of a sure. threat. We still have to wait to see what's going to happen with Palace Pier. There's no entries, nor is there betting for the QE2, so it's quite difficult to talk about that race, although I do want your opinion on a horse that we saw at Goodwood that we just talked about off-air. Um, yeah. her, her entries are the Judmont International, interestingly, the Betfair Sprint Cup, and uh, Leopard Sound for the Coolmore America Justified Matron Stakes. I know that was a race that you were keen to go for, but does this now change things? Is France on the agenda potentially? Um, is the QE2? Does the Breeders' Cup come into play? Yeah, um, I, I personally, Andrew and I had a little chat about it um, on Friday. Uh, she holds an entry in the Judmon International. Obviously, her owner won it before with Arabian Queen, who um, we know was a small but mighty little star. Uh, caused of a that, slight upset that day as well. Yeah, to go to go on, but um, look, uh, that race obviously is something that we'll have to consider. I know Mile Quarter is going to be our absolute maximum, but um, but I know Jeff is kind of very keen that that option is open. Um, the Haydock Spring Cup would be an ideal race. Obviously, dropping back to six, but she's likely to get her ground. I've won the race a couple of times. Uh, the Tin Man, Dream of Dreams, and I just think that a race like that would suit her very well. Obviously, the matron stakes at Leopardstown uh, would be ideal. Um, she would very likely be favourite. Uh, I love the track there. I, you know, it's for me. Um, I know we have our classics in Ireland at the Curra, but Leopardstown is just a brilliant place, particularly when you get the sun shining and a nice crowd there. Um, and the QE2 is definitely a race that she would be targeted at uh obviously palace pier is likely to be going there and we've got massive respect for him particularly on slow ground looking back at last year's qe2 uh he pulled a couple of shoes off and he just wasn't at the races but he's definitely campaigned a little bit differently this year and uh it's probably his last season in training you you think anyway so mm. that could be his last ever race as regards the breeders cup uh i know josh christian the guy who kind of invites the horses to go there, has been on to Andrew and been texting me. Uh, 
very very Josh is some you know. man by the way just just as a, as I break down the fourth wall that's a, Josh was on the show last year talking about the Breeders Cup and the importance of it um, but he he is some man to twist an arm as well I have great admiration yeah, for well, how he does it he's forceful in a very nice and <laughs> exactly, fun way exactly yeah, yeah. that's it, that's the way to describe him yeah yeah um, and obviously so the Breeders Cup would could be on the agenda as well there's no way she's going to have lots of races um I'd imagine she'll run twice, maximum three times before the end of the year, um, but nothing's been set in stone. But uh, she has come out a good wood fine, a little bit tired. She had a few cuts, but she's sound. So, um, you know, it, we're pretty happy with her. So I, I'm fascinated to hear you talk about the Bedford Sprint Cup in, in the way that you did. And you, your talk about the ground makes perfect sense. Um the reason I'm so interested in how you've you've spoken about it for that race is that you'll have a sprinter of your own uh, to discuss that was that was literally your own uh, not so yeah, long ago. Yeah. So we'll talk and we'll talk about him in a second. You were also mentioning, of course, Irish Champions Weekend. I completely agree with you about the track at Leopardstown. By the way, it's absolutely fantastic, and Leopardstown as a venue is just a, a brilliant place to go. But that would be the 11th of September, and the Sprint Cup is on the 4th of September. Which would you favour, the, the Sprint Cup or the Matron? Um, I don't actually mind. Uh, I think I think she could win either of them. Uh, probably logistically for the horse, it makes more sense to stay here and go to Haydock. Um, just touching on Dragon Symbol, I felt the other day uh, his gate speed isn't like super, super quick. Um, he jumped fine, but I got stuck behind ornate and good effort after going two strides and I could never get racing room and daylight until late in the race and Suesa was really really impressive showed a good turn of foot but we didn't see the best of dragon symbol there and very easy to see what happens now that you hear my thoughts um for me we're going to stay at five uh the Nuntorp is on the agenda at York and then he'll go to the flying five uh at the Curra so that's his next two races. And he came out of Goodwood in great shape. Thank God. Yeah. Excellent. Well, we'll stay on Dragon Symbol and then uh, reverse back to Al Golfery before we, we wrap up. Um, he was in 11. Uh, Suesa was in stall 7. Obviously, there was a, an enormous amount of attention on Patash. Uh, on TalkSport, to be completely honest about it, I wasn't that gone on, on Patash. I thought that um, there were many questions to, to answer um, and I'll, I'll say that to Jim as well, uh, and was amazed at the price that Glass Slippers was, and it was Suesa, Dragon Symbol, and Glass Slippers, not necessarily in that order, that was the, the trifecta for me. Um, so thanks very much, Oshin. Gravy everywhere. Uh, <laughs> we, we, you, um, you are slowly into stride in, in the races, you were saying, and uh, he's run a, a monstrous race, but... When you looked to your left and saw William Buick just flying through in the Strawbridge colours, um, the fact that Suez has won by f- three lengths in a five furlong group two, that was massively impressive from her, but also a gigantic effort from Dragon Symbol as well. It was a very good run uh, from him, but I just think, um, and I know I keep making excuses, but I... I think we haven't seen the best of him yet um i thought william gave suesa a lovely ride he kind of followed me and he was able to switch left uh towards that stands rail and 
Um, he had a you know perfect trip, whereas I was right in behind them with nowhere to go for much of the race. And the fact that you've already mapped out plans, so Nunthorpe next, um, heads of the Curra for the Flying Five, so the, the Flying Five is a Group One uh, as well. Um, and of course, part of Irish Champions Weekend at the Curra, so that'll be uh, a huge race. Um, what I think is most significant about this, though, is the the idea that you now want to stick to five furlongs, which then brings me to the point that he's got he's going to have a huge chance in both of those races, but also, <laughs> and I can just hear Josh picking up the phone right now. Would <laughs> would the Breeders' Cup be on the agenda for him? The issue is that the Japanese are very keen to come uh, to ARC meeting, particularly with, you know, there is, I'm riding a a Japanese horse in the race itself and um, they'll want to see him. They'd love to see him run. And the Abbey kind of, I know it's a fast five, but you're going to get autumn ground is, you know, a really good target for him um, after the Curra. So it's just a lot of quick races for him to then get on a plane to America. But let's just see how we, how we go with him. Um, the horse has an incredible profile, but I just want to get back and, and win and win a group one with him. That is, that is the key this year, you know. Well, by the sounds of things, that is something that is going to happen. And uh, fa- fascinating that we now have his basically his his map. Um, it's going to be the Nunthorpe, Flying Five, and the yeah. Prix de l'Abbe at uh, Palais de yeah. So And sure. uh, ground, of course, won't be an issue for him either. Uh, to then double back to uh, alcohol-free, where do you want to go next? Um, uh, personally, I'd love to go to Haydock. I'd love to miss York and and go to Haydock, uh, and then then just go straight to Ascot. Um, but um, I, I haven't I haven't kind of put my neck on the line to Andrew and said, "Oh, I really think we need to go here because um, you know we have time to make that choice." You know, you can't ride both Dragon Symbol and... I mean, you're good. You could have one foot in one saddle and one foot in the other saddle, but <laughs> I think it'd be difficult coming out of the stalls. Um, so m- perhaps Irish Champions Weekend, perhaps we can coax you over for the matron. Um, yes. Would you want to go for the for the QE2 or, or would a trip to the Breeders' Cup be on the agenda for her then when you're talking about not taking too much racing or, or is it possible that you'll head to France? Um, no, she, she, she won't go to France. I'd be very surprised she goes to France. Um, just I find even with boat horses, we, she was hard trained for the guineas um, and, <clears throat> and as a result, she's been on the go quite a while. It's very hard to send them to America after they've had a long campaign in England. And Dragon Symbol never ran a two, just, you know, his Breeders' Cup kind of agenda. Um, all his runs have been this year. And again, it's a it's a very hard thing to do. I know Aidan O'Brien does it. Um, you know, he's done it with the likes of Highland Real and even last year, Order of Australia. But um, it, it's not it's not that easy and it's not straightforward. Yeah, that's a, that's a very good point. Um, so we will watch with interest. But the, would the QE2 be the, the main objective? Uh, I think so, yeah. Yeah, I mean, it's a fantastic prize money. Um, 
Kipco sponsored and obviously that's Sheikh Fad's company and um and yeah it, it'll be a special day you know I won it before on Roaring Lion and um Palace Pierre would be favourite particularly if he goes to France and wins the Jacques Lamarois again um in the next few weeks or next is it next weekend? Um I think, I think so, it is yeah. actually time time yeah. is it's like tenant time is inverted like who the hell knows well, there's so much good racing at the moment Exa- exactly bang 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 every week yeah. it's it's incredible it's coming out as thick and fast but also we're all coming out of our pods slowly get used to freedom Ex- yeah. exactly Oshin. exactly and we're yeah. adjusting to it slowly but surely that's really interesting and you mentioned Sheikh Fahad new listeners and we have a lot of new listeners to the Final Forum podcast which is fantastic and you're all very very welcome may very well be popping their ears up and going hang on a second he doesn't own alcohol free, but he's an incredible supporter of yours and um, genuinely cheers you on, even when you're riding a horse not for him. Yeah, he absolutely loves it. Um, the jockey's championship is, is uh, he likes winning that. Um, and, uh, <laughs> and he likes when I ride big winners, it doesn't matter whose colors they're in, whether it's for Godolphin or Jeff Smith or anybody, he's... He um he's just a brilliant guy to have behind me. It's a it's fantastic when you have a loyal owner like that who will support you and uh, and back you in the way that he does. And when you have somebody who has your back and you can trust, that's a that's a massive massive plus. So um, well done on that. Uh, Brief word on Berkshire Shadow. Uh, he's running monstrous race. Just come up short against Angel Blue. Um, what did you make yeah. of the race and, and what would be the plan? Uh, a bit really frustrating. Um, the pace wasn't that hot and uh, he relaxes very well. Um, I thought when they took off, um, he's never even trotted on slow ground before, not to mind cantered or worked on it. He got caught flat-footed, not that he can't quicken, as we all know he's got a good kick Um a really good kick, in fact, he won over five first time out, but he was a bit babyish and it wasn't until I picked my stick up that he actually got motoring and then he's run home, you know, he's kind of from the further and a half to the last half furlong. He's really taken off and done the fastest sectionals of any horse in the race and then the last 50 metres he shuts down. Um, he wants better ground, he's a miler in the making uh, he is, a, you know, a still very raw, physically immature horse, and I'd imagine he'll have one maximum two runs before the end of the year. The Dewhurst um, would be the ideal race. I think he would handle Newmarket fine. Whether he has a little run before then, uh, not, you know, he wouldn't have to run again. Um, the sort of race you'd be thinking of is maybe the Champagne Stakes at Doncaster, but. We've got another very good two-year-old to run in that called Masakela. And I don't think there's any point in getting them beaten, uh, racing one against the other. So, um, uh, yeah, that's kind of the, the thoughts on him. But, yeah. He's exciting going forward. Uh, speaking of exciting horses, and uh, just the, the final two questions before you're allowed to go back free into the world, Oshin. <laughs> it's, uh, speaking of... COVID lockdowns, um, uh, a horse that uh, you were 
um, racing against you were on board tactical um, Baid. Now, how strong this race was is open to debate, but there can be no debate about how impressive he was. Um, and also, I had interviewed Jim Crowley, who we're about to speak to on TalkSport, and one of the quotes that I was really taken with is him saying they were gutted they missed the St. James's Palace Stakes. And considering yeah. that he didn't race as a two-year-old and he would have been going into that race very inexperienced, that was a strong statement, I thought, to make. Um, mm, mm. And you agreed with me off-air. How impressed with him were you? And the fact, look, all being well, he'll stay in training next season, but there were lots of plans being mapped out for him. Um, the mile, though, is going to be the key with him. What, how impressed with him were you, and what did you make of his potential? I love his demeanor. I actually followed him to post, um, and Tactical is a really you know, relaxed horse, so I was able to kind of watch Jim Crowley on his horse, and um, I just love his, him as a type. He's quite a strong, um, mature horse physical, physically-wise. He's not over tall, and he's very strong through his shoulder and his back. He relaxes anywhere in a race. I think you could ride him first or last. And when Jim Jim followed me, when he switched out, I mean, he literally took off and he obviously got through that ground very well. Um, and yeah, he's a, I think he's definitely a group one horse. Um, and yeah, he could be a superstar. Um, I know some people have already said, you know, he could be a high 120 horse on, on time form figures. Um, Simon Rowlands, interestingly, has kind of stood off and, and says uh, he'd like to see him do it against better horses, but um, yeah. I, I'm pretty sure he's he's a star in the making, yeah. Yeah, he's already got a, a racing post rating of 124+, plus, which puts him alongside Poetic Flair, and mm. I, I suspect that his official rating, when that comes out on Tuesday, will be similar enough. And um, one of the things that's nice to see is uh, Sheikha Hissa um, saying the daughter of um, the late Sheikh great, Hamdan. Yeah, yeah, the great late great Sheikh Hamdan, how much fun he would have gotten out of this horse uh, is that the while the Prix de Moulin is very much a race they want to go for, uh, they're very very keen to wrap the season on British Champions Day at Ascot in the Kipco uh, Queen Elizabeth the Second Champion Stakes, which means Oshin. You could have um, a pretty potent weapon to be facing there with alcohol-free. So that's going to make for for a fascinating race. Um, and, uh, hey, you've got the Phillies allowance. And you've got the fact that yes. the uh, the champion jockey will be on board as well. Um, <laughs> no, no, no offense. Uh, no, yeah, no poor of- Jim is a former champion jockey. Exactly, exactly. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No <laughs> offense to Jim. Um, speaking of that, just before you go, last year when we were, I was chatting to you and congratulating you on winning the Jockeys Championship, you were telling us that Tony McCoy is actually your neighbor. And um, yeah, I was saying, what an what an extraordinary man he, he is. And he's a real gentleman as well. But extraordinary in the sense that for 20 consecutive years... He fought through the pain, fought through bands, kept on coming back. Richard Johnson would build up a lead and he would just power in these winners and be champion again. And as we currently look at the PGA uh, site, Oshin Murphy sits on 77 wins for the season, while that pesky William Buick 
is on <laughs> 69, 69 winners for the season. Um, 363 rides for you as well. You're gunning for it, Oshin. I'm trying my best. Um, I haven't allowed it to stress me out like I have in recent years. Um, I, you know, I'm, I had a very good July um, statistic-wise and percentages and everything. Um, I'd like to have ridden less seconds, but that's always the case. Um, looking into this month, I think Haggis always has a great August. And I think Macron is going to ride a lot of winners this month um, as a result of, you know, his link up with, with Haggis. Mm. Uh, so don't forget about him. Um, William's been doing very well. Uh, he's picking up a lot of outside rides for, for smaller trainers as well. And um, obviously Charlie Appleby is going to have a lot of ammunition to fire. Two-year-olds wise, when they start stepping out, you know, your all those Dubawis that will be coming out in the ocean. Um, so, you know, they they're in powerful positions. Um, I'd like to be eighty in front. Uh, Williams got loads of favourites today and and lots of chances this week, but so do I. So let's keep the pressure on. The fact that both of you and indeed um, strong mention for Tom Marquand as well um, with. Uh, it's fantastic to see Holly Doyle on 52 and Tom on 66. Um, and and uh, there was a piece that, um, I think it was Ascot produced it, where they both broke down the King George in real time um, yeah. on track, which was just a brilliant piece of content. That's, uh, that is, whoever came up with that, that is absolutely superb stuff. Um, but you're right not to sleep on, on Tom Marquand, who's on 66 as well. Uh, but 2.6 million pounds in prize money so far this season for Oshin Murphy. And um, the fact that the three of you are gunning for it in the way that you are means that it's going to be a fascinating race. Um, Oshin, I look forward to chatting to you again. Before you go, is there a horse that the final Furlong Podcast Army should be looking out for for a bit of gravy in the coming weeks? Yeah, um, I really like a filly called Kawida that runs on Friday at Haydock. Um, I just felt her debut run was lovely. She had been very kind of babyish at home and um, it was an ideal first start. And then on her next start in Newmarket, she just found the ground way too quick. But hopefully it won't be too fast at Haydock on Friday and she can break her maiden. I quite like her. I think she's um, she's above average and maybe she's a bit better than that as well. So fingers crossed. It's K-A-W-I-D-A, Kawida. She's one of Kirsten Rising's. A man who speaks four languages knows to take the time to spell out the pronunciation of that horse and the wording of that <laughs> horse because I was going to go, Oshin, would you mind? He just knows. He knows. <laughs> uh, Oshin, you're an absolute legend. I look forward to chatting to you again on the Final Furlong Podcast. Take care, my friend. Thanks very much. The Final Furlong Podcast is brought to you by Tote. And from the current champion jockey to a former champion jockey, as Oshin had alluded to earlier on, Jim Crowley joins us for the first time on the Final Furlong Podcast. First jockey to Shadwell Stud Estate, uh, formerly, of course, of the great uh, Sheikh Hamdan Al Maktoum. Jimmy, you're very welcome to the show. Well, thank you. Thank you for having me. And thank you for taking the time to join us. I was chatting to you on Friday on TalkSport. You had some very bullish things to say about Bayid, and that was before he was strutting his stuff on the track. So we'll definitely come to him. But first of all, a reflection on the retirement of the great and powerful Batash. He was an absolute superstar of a horse. Two races this season, 
beaten two and a half lengths at, at Ascot and then uh, his beloved Goodwood, it didn't go to plan. How difficult was the decision to retire him? Um, well, look, it was, it was out of my hands. Um, but I, I think everybody at Shadwell felt that he, d- he didn't owe us anything. Um, obviously, he'd had a fracture um, over the winter and you know he had a little screw put in that and he just had come back and he wasn't he felt the horse he was um and it's a bit like a boxer and he's been at the top we didn't really want him having to go back down and you know uh you know he's been such a fantastic horse for us and god forbid if, if anything went wrong as well you know um uh, like i said he's been an absolute superstar I've, I've been very fortunate to have come across him and had some fantastic days racing on him. Uh, so, like I said, he, he didn't know us anything. Um, he's going to have a very happy retirement at Shadwell. And, you know, he's been a, a, a part of Charlie Hills and his family's lives and Bob Grace, who looked after him. And I think he really caught the imagination of the, the public because he was a bit of a, a, a wild child in his days and you never quite knew what you were going to get. And obviously from riding him, I pretty much didn't know myself until I got on him and handed him down what sort of frame of mind he was in. But he had his knockers. And I think one day at York, when he broke the track record, he silenced a few of those that day. Mm. I'll be completely honest with you and say that I was one of those um, knockers. And uh, and I'll hold my hands up and, and say that when he did do that at York, it was an absolutely... Stunning performance, and I, I ate my humble pie, and uh, it, it tasted vile. But hey, every now and again, you got to eat it, and you just you just got to you just got to take it. Um, in terms of the the career he had, uh, like Ascot was uh, an issue for him. Uh, I remember him getting beaten by Blue Point uh, in twenty eighteen. Um, he had in the words of Charlie Hills, uh, disgraced himself at Ascot uh, when Paul Hannigan was on board, uh, which which resulted in his gelding operation. And in fact, Charlie said if he wasn't gelded, he probably would have killed someone. And just for new listeners to the show, the gelding operation essentially would have refocused his mind and uh, he was no longer paying attention to the girls and getting a little bit uh, fractious in the parade ring. Although he was still a, a very buzzy horse, uh, that was now no longer an option for him. Yeah, look, I, I didn't ride him. Obviously, Paul, Paul, Paul Hannigan had the pleasure of the day after. He was very badly behaved. But there was a there was a couple of incidents when I rode him early on um, at once at York. He sort of was very angry coming over, and I knew cantering him down at the start, he was grinding his teeth. Some dogs were barking down at the start, and that set him off. He was whizzing around in circles, just stamping his feet. He just and he was a real handful to get into the stalls. We had a, a guy called Gary Craig Witherford, who was marvellous with the stalls, um, and he we used to put a blindfold to get him in. And he was just a real handful that day, and he ran like it as well. He was just very angry, and as time went on, he he did get better. And you know, by the by the end of it, there he was actually becoming very amenable and you could, you could pretty much do anything with him but we just kept that routine with him because he was a horse who loved his routine and you wouldn't mess it up we used to sort of pack away last down on him because I think if somebody cantered past him flat out on the way to the post you'd, you'd be gone um, but like I said everything was routine and he loved it and he was a very kind horse in the stable as well uh, towards the end and I, I took my son up there to Charlie Hills and he was in the stable feeding him carrots and 
Bekash just put his head in his, you know, chest and was very kind. Ah. Um, and an, a very intelligent horse. So, yeah, look, he, he was brilliant. And when he was good, he was very, very good. And like I said, I, I just feel very lucky to be in Parkville. He really announced himself on the scene. He'd already uh, clocked up some very impressive performances, particularly at what would become his beloved Goodwood. But that performance at uh, Chanty, uh, when he beat Marcia by four lengths, Jim, that was really when he announced himself on the main stage and proved himself to be an elite sprinter. Yes, he did. Um, that was probably um, another one, one of his finest performances. I think, it was, I think it was four or five Group 1 winners in the race. He just absolutely smashed them. I don't think the French could believe what he'd just done. Um <laughs> And, and, and unfortunately, the next two times he went to France, one both very, very tested ground, uh, mm. which wasn't to his liking. Um, but like I said, when he when he got quick ground or good to firm, you know, even good to soft, not too testing. He was easy track. It was all about speed. A pity they didn't have four furlong races for them because he was just so quick early on. They couldn't lead him far enough. Yeah, I remember having this conversation with Nick Luck on the final furlong before, and he was suggesting that if somehow there could be a four furlong or even even a five furlong race set up at Epsom, that that would just be ideal for him. That the, the way that track is is configured, um, that the the, uh, the the downhill, he just set uh, ridiculous fractions and. Um, he'd probably break all speed records. That That's just how fast he was. And in America, they do have four furlong races and they, he'd probably blow their heads off if he was over there. Yeah, I wouldn't fancy riding him downhill at Epsom over four furlongs. <laughs> but yeah, I'm sure you're right. It, w- it would have been uh, very exciting, to say the least. Be a bit like trying to uh, take a horse over the cross-country fences for the first time. That's not the best of jumpers of conventional fences, let alone taking on the uh, that. And of course, you were a jumps jockey yourself, so you'd you'd know a bit about that. Um, the the two Ascot defeats when he then won. Do you think that was in any way down to the fact that there was no crowd there, or is that just a coincidence? Look, I think he got beat by an exceptionally good horse in Blue Point, who was probably more of a six furlong horse. Obviously, the horse came out and won the Golden Jubilee a few days later over six furlongs, whereas Batash would have very little chance of staying six furlongs. And I think both times he just got outstayed. You know, he, it was on a track that played to another horse's strength. Um, I'd be fairly confident now that the day he won the Nunthorpe, um, in 2019 I don't think there would have been many horses around that would have been in that day um, but, you know but like I said I think that's what made him so appealing to the public because you know he, he didn't win every race uh, you know, he'd get beat and he'd come back and dust himself down and come and win again you know um, but like I said he was a he was a real joy to be around that Nunthorpe performance was just sublime and it's well worth watching back 23rd of August 2019, the Coolmore Nunthorpe Stakes. It was uh, a blitzing performance. And as you said, uh, silent stouters and, um, <clears throat> sorry, it's still a bit of humble pie there in the back of my throat. I'll have to clear, <laughs> have to clear that out. Um, in terms of the, the race itself on Saturday and on Friday, um, you're, you're clearly disappointed with Patash, but looking back on it, what did you make of the performance of uh, Soisa and um, Dragon Symbol as well, for that matter? They 
they both ran monstrous races, but particularly the filly under William. She looks to be a potential star. Yes, yeah, she does. I mean, I think the way the track was riding on the day, it was it was obviously soft ground. There was a headwind. It didn't really suit any of the front runners. Um, and my chap, Batashi, broke from saws very quick. And ideally, I'd love to have got a bit of cover on him and followed something, but there just wasn't anything where I was drawn quick enough. Uh, Williams really just got a lovely toe into the race, and she, nonetheless, she was very impressive. Um, I can't see anything around at the moment to trouble her. I mean, you could make a case for Dragon Symbol being on the wrong side and what have you, but she won fair and square at Goodwood, and I could, can't really see her being beaten in the non-top if she turned up the same sort of form. Yeah, it'll be, be interesting to see if, if she does come back. Uh, Oshin Murphy, very much of a, a different opinion, but that's uh, that's what the game is all about. That's what the game is all about, uh, and that's why we love it so much. Um, Batash did become the people's horse, and in in the end, and as you said, I think those defeats, uh, I think they really do endear a horse to people. Um, the fact that you know he's not invincible when horses aren't invincible, I think that does actually attract more fans uh, to them. So. Is it fair to say that that day at York is your your fondest memory with them? I'd say it would be. I mean, look, the day on the Prix de Labbe was special as well. But I think, as you said, York that day, Sheikh Hamdan was there in person. We're a massive crowd, and it was just to, and to break the track record as well. And I think he broke the track record at Goodwood, uh, Sandown, and York. So obviously, look, he wasn't just the one trick pony at Goodwood. Places like that, he was, a, he was an exceptional horse. And pretty sure if he got good to firm ground in France, he broke the track record that day as well. So, and I, like he was just fantastic horse. I'm so grateful to be in a part of it. And how much of a factor in his career was Bob? Because Bob retired. Obviously, he's picked up this injury. Uh, not Bob Batash over the over the winter, and uh, has had to have the the pins put in, but. Bob was just, he was there the whole way through the horse's career. Um, how much of a of a factor was him retiring? Um, possibly an influence on the change of routine for Batash and maybe that not helping things either? Um, I, I don't know about that. I mean, but one thing I would say is when, when Batash was in his prime and Bob would lead him up, they were a match made in heaven because Bob obviously didn't have great knees and couldn't walk very fast. Mm. And I think the old horse used to walk around, really looked after him and not drag him around the paddock. And uh, he obviously looked after him at home and they they were a great team. And Batash almost sort of relied on him a little bit. Uh, it was interesting just to watch him walking around the paddock that he used to hold everybody else up and walk so slowly. And then as soon as I'd get on him, he was like, you know, a complete tear away. He wanted to go. But uh, like I said, Bob was a huge factor in, in Batash when he was in his prime, without a doubt. And it's it's always nice to pay tribute to those who have had such a, uh, a massive influence on, on a horse's career, and Bob very much deserves that. But you are indeed correct. Uh, Bob's knees were an issue, and uh, I may have spoken to stable staff who were behind Batash on certain days who were like, oh, for <laughs> God's sakes, come on, man. Yeah. Would you just go <laughs> forward? Oh, 
Is there nobody yeah, else in like Charlie Hills's who can walk this hard? <laughs> like poor old Bob, uh, but an, an absolute hero, and uh, and brilliant, yeah. brilliant that um, uh, Shika Hissa Hamdan Al Maktoum, the daughter of um, the great Ham, um, great Hamdan Al Maktoum, who uh, it's frightening to think he only passed away in March and. Time really is flying. Uh, that she is leading the way very much in, in the UK, which is brilliant to see that uh, she's leading the way for Shadwell and saying, of course, that he's going to have a very long and happy retirement at, at Shadwell. Yes, it's, it's, it's like I said, it's a super place where he used to go back for his uh, winter holidays at, at Shadwell and, um, you know, he's going to have a fantastic retirement. And, He's, he, he probably wouldn't be doing racehorse to riding horse classes, trotting around a ring. And if he did, he'd be going very quick, I'd say. But uh, like you said, he's going to have a good, great retirement and, and well-deserved as well. Oh, very much so. And not the kind of horse who would be retrained for dressage. That's fair to say, uh, given, given his mentality. A, a horse who hopefully will be heading to Shadwell, but for different reasons, and that is to cover mares, is the beautifully bred Baid, uh, by See the Stars out of a King Mambo mare. And I spoke to you on TalkSport on Friday morning and that one of the things you said that, uh, I said this to Oshin earlier on as well, so I'm, I'm repeating myself, but it's worth doing so uh, for the benefit of the fact that you're actually here for the conversation. I was so taken by the fact that you said you were gutted to miss the St. James's Palace Stakes with him because he would have been going into that race as a quite an inexperienced horse having not raced as a juvenile um and that was that was an incredibly taking quote from you and it gave an indication of how highly you regard him um he then goes and absolutely blitzes the field uh, the racing posts have given him a rating of 124 plus which would put him on par with um poetic flair for jim bulger and um there's uh there's talk of France uh, for the Prix de Moulin and it seems as though for um, Sheke Hassan it's very important to come back for the Kipco QE2 which wasn't being mentioned on the day but is being talked about now um, just to, to deal with him himself his, his character and the performance that he put in that was pretty sensational and the right race to go for as well in terms of his career because you were telling me he's going to stay in training next season. So while you could have gone for the Sussex Stakes, well, why would you when you've got a group three over a mile that just helps him learn and develop his career? So what he did was enormously exciting and um, you must be looking forward to getting the leg up on him in a group one in France and, and then the hopefully the QE2 then as well. Yeah, it's 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 mad, really, how one changing of the guard, really. Batash sort of retired on that day, and we found another one. Um, he's made, looks very, very exciting. I mean, I won on him at Newmarket, and I was very, very impressed with him that day. Um, and obviously, he put in another big performance at Goodwood. And uh, like I said, we... we he could have quite easily sort of gone for the Sussex, but it was, it was a huge supplementary fee. Um, and it would have been a big ask because you don't need one a listed race so far and then to chuck him in against the Guineas winner and, um, and our goal free and plenty of good horses. If it had gone wrong, we'd probably look a bit silly. But although we held the horse in very high regard, 
running him in the, in the group three made made the perfect sense. And I suppose it was a massive confidence booster again for the horse. Um, he's going to have to step up to group one company now. And I'm very much looking forward to it. It's very exciting. He hasn't seen things in his armour and he's, he's got a great mind. Uh, he's a horse, so I've no doubt will stay 10 firm time uh, if we want him to, uh, which is always a huge, huge plus. Uh, you could pretty much ride him how you want in a race as well. And yeah, he's very, very exciting. The fact that you're talking about the fact that he could get 10 furlongs is something I was going to ask you. And that's really, really interesting because, of course, it, it as you said, it opens up so much options for him potentially next season as well. Um, in, in terms of the of, of, of his career trajectory, is it now a case of it's very much the Prix de Moulin? You want to go for, for a Group 1 race? Because he has an entry in the Celebration Mile at Ascot which would be a great prep for the QB2. But is it a case of now straight into Group 1 water, let's dip the toe? Yes. I mean, obviously, it all depends on the travelling arrangements as well. It's not the easiest getting horses to France at the present moment in time due to COVID. Um, I'm hoping things will relax a little bit more. Um, but like you said, on paper, it, it, it is the obvious race for him to move on. Um, it would be lovely to make him a group one winner over a mile. Uh, obviously, he's got such a beautiful pedigree. And like I said, next year, he can stay at a mile or, or go up to 10. But I, I think, you know, hopefully if he's good enough to be a stallion one day and he can show that he's got the class to win over a mile, it would be very attractive to the breeders and um, to show that the horse has got a, uh, a turn of foot. But like I said, he's so exciting. And, um, I can't wait to get my leg across him again. That is fantastic to hear. And just a, a brief word on the handicapper, because it played out exactly as you said, basically, uh, on TalkSport. I was asking you about Maidani, um, who, <coughs> Clang, I fancied. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, we'll just get that after time in there right now. Um, I, I really liked his chances. And you were talking about, I might have to take the brave man's route here. Uh, what we call the brave man's route. And I think my final line to you was, well, what I would love to see is Jim Crowley with ice in his veins just slicing through the field like a hot knife through butter, which is exactly what happened. Uh, he was terrific in, in the Golden Mile, and um, he must have been a... That, that must have been a real thrill. It was. It could have quite easily have gone wrong very quickly. Uh, I... I, I that's Goodwood, and uh, I'm actually going to split. Just the door was just about to shut on me, and I, I, I gave Ryan Moore a shout because he was about to shut the door. And I think if he had have done, he'd have put me clean out of the rail, and he'd have probably put a little holiday, and it cost me the race. So um, I'm actually squeezed up the inside, and uh, we just got the perfect trip really. And I, it's very difficult, Goodwood. It's not, it's not an easy track to ride, and it's very draw dependent as well. Uh, you could have a lovely draw and sit behind the leaders and be stuck in there like a tin of sardines and not get any room and something comes sailing down the outside and beats you and vice versa. You could be on the outside and somebody gets a split and away they go. It's, uh, it's a very unique track. It's my home track. I love riding it. I've had plenty of success there. Um, but when it's good and things go well like that, it's, it's a great feeling. Well, it was another example of the draw as well, as you say, because you were in stall five. 
Um, Oshin was in stall eight. Uh, Jason Watson was coming out of stall nine on Escobar. Uh, Ryan, who you were mentioning, is potentially getting a holiday for himself yeah, if he had done that maneuver. But the the Crowley shout came over and put him in his place. Uh, we came ahead of stall two, and it was Bedouin's story. It was did the best of the the highest drawn uh, coming out of stall nineteen. So that that draw really is um, vital. But he was he was fantastic. Um, is it? Would there be another roll of the dice in, in handicap company, or would you put him up to, to listed Group Three class? Yeah, obviously listed. You got the Cambridgeshire. I'm, I'm actually just travelling to Kempton now, so I'm in and out of uh, reception. But um, no, there's plenty of nice race for him. The Cambridgeshire looks a good target, but it could be something more immediately before him. Uh, but he's, he's a he's a real fun horse. He's very well bred. He's out of attraction. He could possibly maybe over the winter go on his travel. You know, there's some, there's some nice races for him. He's, he's a mile off a mile and a quarter is his, is his trip. So, yeah, hopefully there's more days ahead of him. That sounds good. And uh, I like the fact that you're saying he could be heading on his travels as well, but the Cambridgeshire could very well be an option. And just before your uh, reception completely blacks out, I asked uh, Oshin, so I have to ask you, is there a Shadwell horse that we should be looking out for for Final Furlong Podcast listeners, for potential gravy over the coming weeks that you're particularly looking forward to riding? We have a very nice two-year-old. Oh, the name escapes me. I think he's called, I think it's Edgras. He won uh, about 10 days ago at Ascot for Richard Hannon. Um, he's by a stand called Showcasing. I think he's very exciting. He is, he, what, he, he looks like he's a real deal. And hopefully we can have a bit of fun with him later on in the year as well. That's E-H-R-A-Z, Ezra. That's, I think, correct. I like the way you said, I think that's correct. Probably for the spelling, because I'm almost certain I've butchered the pronunciation. But he did look really exciting. I was very taken with him. Jim, we'll look forward to a potential run in the Champagne Stakes at at Doncaster or uh, the Mill Reef. But he is definitely a horse that we will be following. And uh, thank you so, so much for giving us your time on the Final Furlong Podcast. It is much appreciated, sir. And the best of luck to you for the rest of the season. Jim Crowley, a pleasure. Thank you very much. Bye-bye. Behave, behave, behave yourself. Grow up! Oh, well, it's going to be a pleasant evening for the booby when he gets back home this evening. She'll be cowering in the corner already, I should think. You'll be all right later, back when the old champagne fridge opens. Behave yourself, you fool! Autumn lame and you know it now. When the real the hold you down, you're supposed to drown. Bam! Well, that's why you don't know anything about racing, John. I, I don't say I do. Right? I'm saying that... What, what if you contributed to racing? You're one of these checkout merchants. Bave yourself, you fool! Leave a pretty girl sad reputation. Start a fight club, bad reputation. To keep your name, John, you're always up and up things, right? You are, you're a farce, and so is he. He knows nothing about racing. This man was a brave... And he was brave a non-achiever and knows nothing. Bitch. The worst thing is I had to, I had to stick up for Lucas Arrida. No, that, that is ridiculous. Save yourself, you fool! Delighted to say that we are now joined by the great and powerful commentator Simon Holt, who was on duty for the final three days of Glorious Goodwood. Uh, Simon, welcome back to the Final Forum Podcast. Great to have your company again. Thank you very much. It's a pleasure. And uh, I've just about dried out after uh, Saturday at Goodwood because I was doing a piece to camera before racing and I mentioned uh, I was just in the middle of doing the Stewards Cup previewing the Stewards Cup and we're out in the open I said well you know we've had a bit of a mixed week 
with the weather and you know never quite sure when the rain's gonna fall but today i'm told from my weather app that it'll be about 5 p.m at which the clouds opened <laughs> and i got absolutely well i was just i just carried on you know like a, like a good old trooper but i was it just looked awful because uh, no umbrella or anything, and um, I got absolutely soaked. So uh, it just shows how unpredictable the weather has been lately. And uh, unfortunately, Goodwood did cop it a bit last week, and um, it must have made a difference to some of the results. The ground was quite soft at times, though the course does drain particularly well um, as it's on chalk downs, you know. So, um, yeah, that made, that probably influenced the results a bit. I, I'm sure it did. I, I'm Sorry, but I just love the fact that <laughs> you turn to camera and say, "Yeah, so it'll be about five o'clock." And as no, as no, no. you almost as you say it, and literally as I said it, <laughs> the first droplets appeared on my suit, oh, no. and then and then it was just then it just completely well, it was just a a, a very uh, violent rainstorm, oh. and. Uh, so we just carried on because uh, I didn't want to go through it all again because it's a fairly long piece. So, uh, but needless to say, the last two races of the Stewards Cup were dispatched with fairly swiftly and briefly. I can imagine. Yes, I've <laughs> been there, done that, bought the t-shirt. Um, you just get out and uh, and head on. And that rain uh, resulted in soft ground on day one, which meant that we uh, missed out on seeing Stradivarius. Uh, which was a real shame because Stradivarius was obviously going for, um, he wasn't the only horse going for five consecutive wins at uh, Glorious Goodwood. We'll talk about that uh, a little bit later on when we come to to Friday. But it did mean that we ended up with Trushan and uh, Holly Doyle winning her second Group 1. Her, her rise to fame and her rise through the ranks of racing has just been absolutely sensational and it continues and um on trushan on soft ground uh this horse has proven much to the frustration of rory delargy with him being pulled out of the royal ascot meeting where he would have won an absolute fortune uh even if the horse had placed he would have been happy, but Alan King had other ideas. Uh, coming into this on the back of a defeat and a handicap, but carrying a big, big weight. Obviously, it had lost its luster with Stradivarius gone, but Trushan himself has put up a, a really, really strong performance here, Simon. Well, I, I think um, he did well um, to win in that he, he was racing or over racing for much of the race I mean he was very fresh and uh, I, I was wondering as they climbed the hill towards the top turn which brings them back into the home straight whether he would actually be able to sustain the gallop but uh, ultimately he outstayed the runner-up I outstayed them all and he, he came right away and um, and Holly Doyle I mean I don't think we really need to keep um, banging on because she's just uh, become such an excellent rider and um you know we don't even describe her as a female jockey anymore she's oh, just no. an, excellent, an excellent jockey and she's good she's i don't know where she is she was she was about fourth or fifth in the table actually when i last looked and um you know it's very hard to uh, fault her or fault her professionalism and the commitment you know because uh, along with her her partner her fiance tom i mean tom marquand they are just fitness fanatics and they are so professional um, and determined, but the 
the great thing about it, they're so nice with it as well. And yeah. um, they're a dream for, for us media folk. You know, they, they, they don't mind uh, being called the golden couple and all that sort of thing. And uh, <laughs> it's lovely. It is lovely. It's a lovely story. And I can remember Holly just uh, riding around Lingfield for, for quite a long time without really creating much of an impression. Rather like James Doyle did some years ago. He was a just a all-weather jockey and suddenly got a breakthrough on Dubai World Cup night. And, and the rest is history. So to speak but I was rather perplexed by the withdrawal of Stradivarius because here we got this um, he's seven years old now uh, one assumes this might be his last season yeah and he had this chance at history to win five Goodwood Cups and they withdrew him because he he wouldn't have liked the ground although he had one on soft ground in a in a previous gold cup and actually if you look at I, I rather think they might have made the wrong call because if you look at the time of the Goodwood Cup they were only eight seconds above standard and in fact the times on that day were not real heavy ground times yes there was cut in the ground for sure but it wasn't desperate and as I said earlier the Goodwood course is very fast draining in fact it has a, a very shallow soil above the chalk out on the far side. So it, it just can't get that deep, you know. And I just think it was a, an opportunity missed. And I know one or two people at Goodwood were a bit disappointed as well. And um, I'm sure a lot of horses fans were disappointed. He may yet go out on a blaze of glory. But, you know, if they get the same ground at Champions Day as they did last year when he, he didn't run very well, then uh, presumably he won't run there. So it looks like it's York now uh, for the Lonsdale. But given this unsettled weather that seems to be, you know, staying with us for much of the summer, York is a place that doesn't take the rain so well. Mm. And, uh, you know, it, it could well be soft there as well. But, uh, yeah, I think that was a bit disappointing, to be honest. And um, the time would suggest that um, it really wasn't as, as bad as... Um, the, the ground as described by John Gosden. And York can also be just a funny track, which you and I have spoken about on your yeah. last appearance on, on the show. And, and we've spoken about on the podcast on many an occasion, in fact, that it, it just for some reason, even horses who have won on it can then just be caught out by it for some bizarre reason, whatever, whatever way the turf plays out there. And I agree with you. I was a bit perplexed and look, John Gosden will forget more about racing than I will ever know. But your point, I think, is is a very is a very very strong one and a very um, uh, an argument that's very difficult to disagree with. Simon, this was an opportunity at history. It's a yeah, big race. It it's hmm. it's part of the world pool um, with Tote, so it's literally being watched around the world. Um, you have betters in Hong Kong, America, uh, all getting stuck into this market and obviously watching the race as well. Um, and, and Whirlpool has been a, a fantastic initiative. And the, the fact that they would walk the ground and go, okay, yeah, it's soft. It's obviously soft. Um, but thinking ahead, Ascot's probably going to be soft at the end of the season. You're not going to go for an arc. What's your plan? Do you come over for an Irish St. Ledger? Like, what is the blaze of glory that, that, that Stradivarius is going to have? Because this was, this was it. This was his, his attempt at history, and 
it's gone now. Yes, I mean, I do think it's a shame, um, very much so. And as I say, if it, if it was a young horse and um, there was a, a big stallion career in the future, because I, it's hard to imagine Stradivarius, he's going to be a jump stallion, presumably, you know, when he yeah. goes to stud, you know. Um, and so that's not such, that's not so luc- lucrative, obviously, as, you know, a sprinter retiring to stud or a miler retiring to stud. And, uh, I just think that we're in the, in the entertainment game, and uh, the people people love that horse as I do. Mm. And uh, it was just a little bit disappointing. I'm not not going to put it any stronger than that, but it was a bit disappointing. I think I think uh, if he'd been mine, I'd have been happy to. He, he wasn't going to do himself any harm, you know, on that on that ground. So um, I'd have, I'd have given him given him a shot at it. And, uh, you know, he had true Shan and he had Spanish Mission to beat and they took Spanish Mission out as well. Uh, he is a horse, I think, that prefers better ground. Um, so true Shan's path was cleared. It was sad to see Soron Priestley incurring oh. an injury in the race because he's a he's been a, a really tough sort and a regular winner for the Mark Johnston team. And he got a suspensory injury uh, during the race and um, looks like he could be out for a long time or or be retired. So that was a shame. It really was. And it's an, the problem is it's an injury he's had before. So he's, he's re-aggravated something that's happened previously. And as you said, it, it may very well be the end of his racing career. And I quite fancied him for the race, uh, even with Stradivarius yeah. in there. I thought that he was a horse that was capable of running a big race and, it's just it's it's a shame that um, he's disappointed in, in it's 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 a shame that that's happened and very disappointing because um, I, I think that there was a lot more to come from him um, as Trushan and Stradivarius inevitably are going to meet again. Which side would you be on? Well, I, I don't know if that's inevitable at all, really, because Trushan will only run. Uh, when the ground is um, on the easy side, I would imagine. And it, it could be that he'll turn up at, at York. But his big target's got to be Champions Day again, I think, uh, where he was so impressive last year. So whether Stradivarius and Trushan meet again uh, remains to be seen. There's the Doncaster Cup as well, of course. Um, Trushan could run in one of the French staying races, Uh the Cadran, though that's only a couple of weeks before Champions Day, so uh, I think that that might be a little bit tight. Uh, right at the back end, there's the pre-royal oak, but uh, you know I, I would have thought that Alan King would be looking at Lonsdale or Doncaster Cup, and then on to um, Champions Day, and that's that's got to be his big target. You know, he was just a brilliant winner last year. Stradivarius. Uh, you know he's obviously going to be ground dependent. If, if you know, and it, and he probably is better on a dry surface. I don't think there's any doubt about that. But I do remember him winning a Gold Cup on, on pretty soft ground, where he absolutely um, uh, uh, trounced um, Nayef Road, and it was pretty soft that day. I think that was probably the third Gold Cup. Actually, I'm not sure, but um, so you know, I think he can operate. And then um, last season they they went down the the route of trying to um, uh, turn him into an art contender and because his rating was high enough and you know he was a leading enough contender i think he was in the leading six or seven in the market but um i think probably the combination of the uh, the soft ground in paris and the art last year was running pretty desperate deep ground in fairness uh, and okay and over a mile and a half and, he, and he, he ran in one of the trials as well and typically in the trials um they always 
tend to crawl around as they do in about 98% of French races that they just crawl and then, and then sprint. It's a bizarre way of racing. I mean, you know, it's, it gets to the point that the arcs about the only truly run race run in France all year. <laughs> <laughs> which is, which is why. That's probably a little bit of an exaggeration, but I think you know where I'm coming from. Oh, you, absolutely. Watched enough French racing. I mean, it can be enormously frustrating if your horse is not in a position when the sprint is on. <laughs> you know and and it's all over yeah you're you're just anyway <laughs> you're desperately hoping that uh mendezibal or christoph sumian ha- has the horse perfectly positioned because if not you are goosed and it's game over um, yeah, and that short straight at long shots and you know it's about the length of the Asker straight but without the hill to climb you know they they don't stop you know and it, it, so many races i've seen at long shot they just seem to develop into two and a half furlong sprints whatever yeah. the trip yeah and, <laughs> whatever the trip <laughs> and, and, and as you were saying you commentate on it so so often that we were there at um at uh, Grand Prix de Paris night together, and mm, you were you, yeah. were you were commentating first of all, uh, while we were all down below uh, enjoying the Claude Duval style gravy, and uh, I will make no apologies for that as well. By the way, um, in terms of the the same division, it's pretty rubbish, isn't it? And um, I know I say that like just throw that line out there, but the Aidan O'Brien horses like Serpentine was supplementary for the Gold Cup. He's come up. He's turned up here. Um, maybe it's a ground issue. Maybe that derby was just awful. Uh, Santiago isn't really showing anything, and Aaron Levine, unfortunately, has he did lose a hind shoe, um, but again has, has disappointed. Uh, and and the point that I'm making here is subjectivist, and this is a real unfortunate thing for Mark Johnston because now not only has he lost. Uh, subjectivist for the year and possibly his career could be done entirely. Um, he's now also lost the potential replacement in Saron Priestley. So if you come to Ireland, what's going to stop you in the Irish St. Ledger unless there's there's a, a three-year-old cult that's going to emerge on the scene? There's not a whole lot there um, to, to stop, no, stop these horses. There probably isn't. I mean, the the um, the one that um, immediately springs to my mind is Princess Zoe. Actually, oh, yeah. she, ran, she ran a very good race when she was second in the Gold Cup, and uh, I think she's heading for the Ebor, isn't she? That's Where the plan. That's the plan. Yeah, the Ebor. Carry, but, uh, you know, she's an admirable performer, and uh, you know, she she'd probably be the best star in Ireland. I thought. I mean, it was a fairly becalmed week, wasn't it, for Aidan O'Brien? And um, I think the only two-year-old runner that Aidan has was probably the Acropolis in the in the vintage stakes. And yep. he, he got carved up by Frankie Dottori on Angel Blur, the eventual winner. In fact, I think Frankie was lucky not to get a ban Very. on Angel Blur because uh, he'd ridden the horse at Ascot the previous Saturday. And Angel Blur, in fact, Angel Blur has now hung right on each of his last three starts. And he, he went badly right um, at, at Ascot. Uh, before being beaten by new science. And so Frankie rode him in the vintage and he had his whip in the left hand. He gave him one with the left hand and the horse, of course, went right. Uh, he was very quick to correct it, uh, in fairness. But, um, you know, he must have known the horse that when it when it came under pressure was going to go right. And unfortunately, the, the Acropolis uh, was um, was badly hampered and all, all, any chance he had was gone. But, you know, it, it, it's strange at the moment that, that, 
uh, we were talking about the stairs there, the Aidan O'Brien trained stairs. And I think they filled, I think he might have run, was it four in the Goodwood Cup? And they filled the last four placings and they just haven't really gone on. And uh, although he's had classic success again this season, it's been a little bit um, inconsistent, I would say, certainly on this side of the Irish Sea. Yeah, it was strange that he sent such strong firepower and yet none of them hit the board uh, at Goodwood. And and look, that's not all. That's just going to happen sometimes. That's just the way it is. But um, he he certainly has talent in the yard. I mean, St. Mark's Basilica is going to be a very mm. short price favourite for the, uh, the, the, the Judmont International, uh, which has... Sorry, Ebor fans has become the feature race of of the week at York, and um, he he'll be fascinating. And of, of course, he has Snowfall, who's favourite for the the arc. Um, but we're uh, the Yorkshire Oaks. She'll run in the Yorkshire Oaks. At, she um, will indeed. Yeah, that's going to be um, her prep. And and he's got Point Lonsdale, who's a, a very talented juvenile uh, and a Royal Ascot winner as well. So look, there's horses there, but that's just three that I've mentioned. Uh, and you're 100% right. They they badly disappointed the stayers in the good in um, the Gold Cup, which is a very important race for Coolmore. They import they uh, support that race every single year, and they've they've gone for it again here in the Goodwood Cup. And it could just be a case of soft ground didn't suit them, but seeing the Irish Derby winner getting tranced by by Trushan and the Derby winner. Uh, getting tranced as well it was just a, a little bit disappointing. Um, and well, you just have to think with Serpentine that you know, until he proves otherwise, that you know he's he he's not going to be remembered as one of the great Derby winners. Yeah, uh, oh, at no. this stage, and uh, clearly it was a kind of freakish performance that day at Epsom. He got loose on the lead, and they never got to him. And he he has run okay since then. He wasn't disgraced in France. Uh, on one occasion, and yeah, the race, uh, the Mogul yeah. one, the Grand Prix de Paris, the Grand Prix de Paris, yeah, and um, and of course, Mogul would have been a good thing for the race. He he was slated for, but he was taken out because the ground uh, had presumably gone a bit too soft for him. I think I think he does prefer top of the ground, um, though he had run really poorly in the Coronation Cup before that, uh, finished last of six there. So he's had a patchy time, but, you know, he's a very good horse at his best. He, as you say, he won the Grand Prix de Paris. He won over in Hong Kong at Sha Tin, mm-hmm. and um, he won the Gordon Stakes at uh, Goodwood as well uh, last year. So, you know, he's a good horse, but uh, for some reason he blew out in the Coronation Cup and then wasn't able to run at Goodwood last week. That was a bit disappointing. Yeah. And Joan of Arc was very heavily backed for the Nassau stakes. And, uh, it looked as though she was really going to be on the money and hard to beat in that. And then just before the off, she eased out a little bit. And, um, uh, I, I think there was a lot of confidence behind her, but ultimately she wasn't quite good enough for that. That's how it looked anyway. I'd like to talk to you about the market as well a little bit later on and um, just your your thoughts on, on how that is playing out right now. But uh, you're 100% right. There was an awful lot of, of confidence in her and it um, it didn't quite go to plan uh, for her at all. No winners for the week for Aidan O'Brien um, despite all that, that strength and depth. That being said, I think there are Horses that are, are quite promising that we can look at. Uh, Holly Doyle currently sits sixth in the mm-hmm. Jockeys Championship. And when you consider that she is uh, pretty well clear of the likes of 
uh, Luke Morris and um, uh, Sylvester D'Souza, Richard Kingsgoat, um, Ryan Moore, um, who's obviously not writing as much, but she's miles clearer of, of him. Um, it's just an example of how, how well she's doing. And um, I didn't introduce her as a, as a female jockey. I don't think anyone should anymore, but it's, it's incredible what she's doing and uh, more power to her. And the fact that you were saying that she was an all-weather jockey, I th- I'm almost certain that Roger Charlton was watching Racing UK and was listening to James Willoughby raving about James Doyle and saying this guy should be being given chances in Group 1s. And so he gave him a chance in a Group 1, and he he won. And he became yeah. his jockey, and then um, obviously he was very closely associated with Judmont and eventually ended up going to Godolphin. Um, and it's, it's interesting how an analyst can be picked up on by a trainer like that uh, and uh, and go actually I'm going to give this guy a, a chance and I think mm. I think the fact that Holly Doyle had to go through that like tough battling um circuit of of going around the all weather tracks where you're in the the middle tier of racing was probably a really good grounding and a really good education for her because now that she's at the top level she knows exactly how hard it is to work and to stay there, and that's uh, probably something that a, a lot of jockeys could benefit from. But story for another day. Uh, the I, th- I think you're I think you're right about that. I mean, the, the grounding that she had and the grounding that James Doyle had, as opposed to a, a star apprentice who rides a lot of winners very very quickly, and probably even though he or she has ridden a lot of winners hasn't had that that grounding over a few years and um we've seen you know a lot that have uh, done incredibly well claiming and then haven't quite been able to cut the mustard when when they're um they're, they're riding without um, the allowance and uh, i think certainly uh, you're right about holly and, and james that um they could only have benefited i mean it, they needed the break i mean it's the same in not just in racing in in any walk of life you know you've got to have that little luck that break but equally you've got to be good enough to take advantage and um oh, she's just firmly established now and uh, i i think the way she's going the way she's progressing every year you couldn't rule out her being the first female champion jockey one day oh i think it'll be very much on her mind I think it's very much on the agenda and she has a, a powerful agent. She has good connections and there's no mm-hmm. reason to think that that can't happen. Um, and it's fascinating this season just watching how hard our previous guests at the start of the show, Oshin Murphy, is really gunning for it. And he openly saying that, that he's going for it again uh, to be champion mm-hmm. jockey. But there behind him is, is William Buick and... Uh, Oshin was very keen to point out that Tom Marquand is somebody to be very much uh, wary of because he's not far behind and he has the backing of William Haggis who, as he was saying, does very well at this time of year. So it's going to be a fascinating race for the Jockeys Championship but no reason why Holly Doyle can't be involved in that next year or or the year after and I think she very much will be. Um, Rafe Beckett was in the winner's enclosure uh, along with Ross Orion with uh, Kinross in the Lennox Stakes, getting the better of Creative Force. The money for Creative Force was 
unbelievable. Uh, this horse was backed as though defeat was out of the question. Um, when I actually saw the market, first of all, just before going on TalkSport, I thought, oh, they've obviously taken out Space Blues. Wait, no, they haven't. Because uh, <laughs> he was down to 13 to 8 at one point. Um, but Kinross just got him in the in the dying strides. Um, two good horses, okay. but, but yeah. creative forces lost nothing here in defeat. Now, he's been a, a revelation this season. He's only a little horse and um, he's, he's run incredibly consistently, not at all disgraced in the July Cup uh, before uh, running in the Lennox at Goodwood. Uh, I think with Kinross, they've, they've found the key to him. He was a, a hugely impressive winner on his race course debut. There were high hopes of him in the, uh, what is the Vertem Futurity now, and also, of course, the Guineas, and he didn't quite come up to it. And uh, I think it was obviously a, a bad decision to go to Maidan, where he ran twice over nine furlongs, mm. which um, now looks a big mistake because clearly this is a horse that's got quite a lot of speed. And, in fact, they may end up going the other way, dropping from seven furlongs to six because he's got a, a fantastic turn of foot. Um Without being overly modest, I fancied Kinross on on Tuesday, Good and man. I just feared what in the race he was in the ruck there, and I thought, oh my God, this is this is Goodwood. I just know what's going to happen here. <laughs> there was he was behind a wall of horses, and you know the stewards are never busier than they are at the uh, Goodwood Festival. And um, amazingly, Ross Ryan managed to thread a path through, and once he did, it was all over. Uh, and the horse really quickened up well. I think he's very smart indeed. He could go uh, Hungerford Stakes. He could go Pre de Foray, where he get the cut in the ground, which seems to suit him later in the season. Again, that uh, might suit him if, if it's a slowly run race, because I don't think there'll be many horses that can quicken up as well as him. Or they might even consider dropping him back to six in the champion sprint on Champions Day at the end of the season. So I think uh, there's more to come from Ken Ross, that's for sure. Well, it's very interesting to hear Ross Orion say that he's got an incredible turn of foot, but particularly mm-hmm. on this ground and that he is ground dependent. Mm-hmm. So uh, when you are backing uh, Ken Ross, make sure that you're getting the soft ground and um, Creative Force loses little in defeat. Both horses can, uh, can go forward and uh, have... Um, have big wins to come. Uh, Happy Power and Space Blues, that applies to as well, by the way. Space Blues is a very, very talented horse, but probably just better suited to, to better ground. And uh, Berkshire Shadow, just beaten by uh, Angel Blue. You've alluded to this race already with with, um, with Frankie Editori, but just to, to wrap it up. Well, Berkshire Shadow's Coventry win, I don't think has worked out all that well, but he, he ran a good race. You know, I mean, he's a, uh, one of the Andrew Balding Runners, they all, all seem to run well last week. And uh, there's even talk now that Andrew Bordy might even have an outside chance of becoming champion trainer this season, which is, which you know, at the beginning of the season, he'd have been a, a big price. But, um, you know, John, John and, and his uh, son Faded, you know, they don't seem to have quite the, pa- the firepower uh, this year. And um, Andrew Balding's just been in good form all season. And it, yeah, it continues, and um, as you said, the form, the only the only horse that you could really look at from the the Coventry is Dabab, uh, who ran a fine race behind Native Trail, and they do think an, an awful lot of. But aside from that, it it hasn't worked out. I I still think the Acropolis 
and and I'm glad that you highlighted just how badly interfered with he was and how it really should have been a holiday for Frankie um, because once he's once he's so badly hampered, that's it. It's game over. So I, I wouldn't lose faith with him. And um, no, he was true. he was well supported before the off too. So uh, the the lads were obviously interested in him. Um, the futurity stakes seems to be on the agenda potentially. He's in the Champagne Stakes, and uh, of course, as all Aiden O'Brien juveniles who have shown group class form, um, he remains in the uh, the Vincent O'Brien National Stakes at the Curra as mm-hmm. well. The feature race on the Wednesday was the Qatar Sussex Stakes, and it went to our first guest, Oshin Murphy, on Alcohol Free. Um, I think this was a race that just from my own perspective, didn't work out for everybody else, but played out perfectly for Oshin and Alcohol Free. Well, I think it was to her advantage that um, she was ridden differently, or was able to be ridden differently than in the Falmouth stakes at yeah. Newmarket, where she was drawn close to the rail and he felt that he needed to get a good position and he ended up making the running. And I don't think that really suited her. Whereas she'd been very impressive coming from off the pace in the coronation stakes at the Royal Meeting. And, you know, she's such a good traveller, very smooth traveller. Maybe a bit more pace would have suited poetic flair, uh, who was quite readily outpaced when it came down to it by alcohol free. And I know the connections to Snow Lantern, they were umming and ahhing a little bit, whether to run in the Sussex or the Nassau stakes. And I'm not sure that she got the best run through. And possibly if the pace was a little bit slow early on, that probably didn't suit her coming from some way back. But uh, you rather think that um, they might have gone for the Nassau after all. But, uh, you know, she's a. At the beginning of the season, I wasn't sure that alcohol-free would get a mile, to be honest. I I thought that she might be a bit of a short runner, but um, that's not the case. The big question now is if they go for the Judmont International, whether whether she can stay a mile, two and a half furlongs, uh, by no, nay, never, out of a dam that seemed best at seven furlongs. So it's uh, that's going to be a big question mark. Soft ground, I just think that she's... So good at good in the soft, whereas some of the others are not. She goes on any ground, I think, but she's been very impressive now twice in her last three starts on soft ground. She's a really admirable fit. I was very pleased to see her win, really, because her owner, Jeff Smith, has been such a fantastic supporter of the sport. And uh, he's had a lot of good horses, but this, this must be one of the best even if you start thinking about some of the others he's had in the past. So it'd be fascinating in the Jabot International, which I think will probably end up being another small field. And obviously we don't know what the ground is going to be like, but, um, you know, if it, if it developed into less of a stamina test because of the small field, then you couldn't rule her out. I think it's unlikely that she's going to be as good over a mile, two and a half, than a mile. But you can't blame them for having a go when she's in such fantastic form. Yeah, 100%. Um, one of the, the things that Oshin was saying, and uh, obviously our listeners know this, but for the benefit of, of Simon, was that he doesn't feel she'll have too many more runs this season. I think he was saying essentially two, max three. And um, he was actually interested in the Bedford Sprint Cup. Um, the problem with that, though, is that if you go for the Bedford Sprint Cup, Oshin can't have one foot on alcohol free and one foot on dragon symbol, who is going to be going for the um, 
for uh, he's going to be sticking to, to five furlongs, I should say, um, actually. But uh, there's a chance that he goes for the the Vet First Spring Cup. But he he's pretty keen that Dragon Symbol now sticks to to five furlongs. So the just to clarify, um, and in fact we'll, we'll come to him a little bit later on. So we'll, we'll chat about that then. But uh, I I was fascinated that he was interested in the idea of dropping her back to to six furlongs. I asked him about the idea of going for the the matron stakes at uh, Irish Champions Weekend, and he was just saying that logistically, it might be best to stay in in the UK. So we'll see how it all plays out. But the, the QE two is very much on the table, and um, could be a trip to to um, America. But this mm, this ground yeah. this ground is is um, is key and. Uh, He's. I think. I think he does want to prove that she can do it on on faster ground as well. But there's no question that, as he said, no nay nevers just seem to really thrive on this ground. Uh, in terms of poetic flair, he really thrives on on firm ground. Uh, he's hung on soft ground in the Irish Two Thousand Guineas. He's done it again here. Um, it does seem to blunt his speed, the the slower ground, and with a stronger pace and better ground he would definitely have a, a big big chance in another group one the question is where you're going to get that and with this unpredictable weather and i just wonder if um josh who got a mention uh from oshin from the breeders cup who essentially you'll you'll know josh simon um this is breaking down the fourth wall again for final forum podcast listeners uh josh was on the show last year and he goes to connections and essentially tries to persuade them that the Breeders' Cup is the place to go. And uh, we'll be working with the Breeders' Cup again, please God, this year uh, with the Final Forum podcast and uh, doing specials for them. And um, I just wonder if Jim Bulger would take the trip to Del Mar and, uh, and head on out stateside because he would get a strong pace there and he would get his ground, hopefully. I would say that's a possibility. I would say with both of them, uh, Poetic Flair and Alcohol Free, that by then they will have been on the go for a long time. Uh, Poetic Flair ran in one of the Guineas trials, didn't he, mm. um, earlier in the season. Alcohol Free, uh, she won the Fred Darling, um, which is not even into May. So that's a long way off. I, I think um, you'd have to see, and particularly with the filly, whether she was still holding her condition. Uh, the drop to six furlongs seems... Uh, somewhat contrary to what the <laughs> connections were thinking of after the the Sussex states that she might go to the a mile and two, you know. So actually, a good horse should be able to race over a variety of distances. I've always felt, and and it's possibly something that we do more in Britain than in um, other countries, particularly compared to Australia, in that we do tend to pigeonhole horses into certain distances. And uh, you know, she's a smart filly. She's got a great turn of foot particularly when it's soft, out of which other horses maybe can't quicken quite so well or travel quite so well. So I think it'll be fascinating to see which way they go. If they go to uh, York, then the Sprint Cup is only about two weeks after that, isn't it? So that might be a bit tight. Yeah, possibly. But I think you're 100% right there because we we have... And look, I'll, I'll hold my own hands up here and, and say I've been guilty of this in the past, but you do tend to, to see people scoffing at the idea of, oh, Australia, 
They run horses over six furlongs there, and the next week they run them over two miles. They don't know what they're doing. Um, but in, in all seriousness, like a six, a, a ten furlong horse might be given a prep race over six furlongs in Australia. Yeah. That is something they do. And as you're saying, she's a miler. She's very, very fast. I was in your camp, by the way. I wasn't 100% sure that she'd be able to see out a mile, let alone go for a Jumpman International and see out 10 furlongs. Um, I was very much of that view, actually, earlier in the season, and I needed to see it in the Coronation Stakes before I believed it. Um, mm. But she's clearly a miler, and why not go for the Jumpman, I mean, if, if you want to. But it's just really interesting that Oshin was saying, um, you know, might just go for the for the sprint race. Might try and push for the for the sprint race. So we'll see how it all plays out. And um, well, well, there's been plenty of plenty of classic uh, winning or place milers, good milers that, that have been able to drop back to you know a six furlongs. A, a number of July Cups have been won in the past by horses that have run in the guineas and have just um, found that a little bit too far. In her case, I just just think she's so talented that. You know, she. It might be the better way to go, although at the moment a mile looks ideal, doesn't it, on soft ground? I'm reminded. Fascinating to see what what they do, really. I'm reminded of U.S. Navy flag of uh, who exactly. there is a a baseball cap and uh, a jacket. There's a baseball cap in the final forum podcast studio of U.S. Navy flag, and there's a jacket hanging in the in the corridor. Um, uh, in, in the corridor closet uh, to be able to, to stroll out and about in. Uh, uh, Coolmore have got you, haven't they? Oh. You're in their debt. In their debt. Uh, I can see this impartial journalism going out the window because you've got a US Navy flag cap. I've got a US Navy it's, flag cap. It's... Highland Real, <laughs> 10 sovereigns. Uh, oh, dear. And, <laughs> it's and, all going. And shout out to my main man, Kevin Buckley, What's happening, my friend? And and speaking <laughs> speaking of and and look, obviously, the final forum podcast is uh, totally unbiased. Independent. And, um, <laughs> independent. We're, we're independent. We're obviously that, that is the great thing about us. Actually, we are actually independent uh, broadcast media, which is fantastic. So we can freely express yeah. our opinions and tote our our um, uh, terrific partner for us. Um, and that's one of the things that's so great about. Uh, working with Weatherbees and working with the Breeders' Cup and working with Irish Champions Weekend, um, but you, you know, we we're talking to a, a couple of stud farms as well. And we, Simon, we would never ever be biased. You know, we'll just casually make the odd mention of Highland Reel and what a monster he was, and of course, what a brilliant stallion he is. And <laughs> casually, if. Yes. if um, if you've got a mare uh, who would be suitable, of course it's Highland Reel you're going to go to. But um, you know, we, we, we would we would only casually mention that. Uh, so we'll just briefly get your your thoughts on on the Mulcombe Stakes. Um, yeah, the, the sure. winner the winner by uh, No Nay Never who stands at Coolmore Stud and uh, is, is a really uh, fasc- fascinating uh, stallion uh, who just ah oh, he's he's a monster and uh, continues to be in, available in Ireland. If you've got 125,000 euro going spare, you can take your mare uh, to this uh, son of Scat Daddy. And of course, that Scat Daddy bloodline, everybody wants a piece of that. And out of a high chaparral mare, uh, formerly, unfortunately, uh, one of my, my favourite horses of all time, and unfortunately a horse we lost. And 
Oh, he used to stand mm. a cool more stud too. Yeah, another, uh, <laughs> another monster. Ball. No. <laughs> um, so, a brief word on on armor for Richard Hannon and Ryan Moore. Well, I, I do remember No Name Ever running. He was a, a fantastic horse. I must admit, ball of a really horse, ball. Yeah, he was. He was. And um, this horse was super impressive in the Molecombe. I do think that there was a little bit of a track bias near the stands rail uh, on and off during the week. Uh, on the straight course, and I think that was borne out later on in the week as well. But this horse really came through very powerfully at the end, very impressively. The the only thing I was slightly dismayed about, Richard Hannon was interviewed, I think it was on uh, RTV after the race, and um, he was asked about um, could this horse become a guineas horse next year, and, and his answer was a bit lukewarm on that, and he really intimated that he felt that this was the year for armour. And that he was, for want of a better, uh, just reading between the lines, that he's 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 a two-year-old, and uh, I always find that a little bit depressing, really. That mm. um, we've got horses that are, are literally bred for one season, and um, and that you know a trainer would, after a brilliant win like that doesn't see a real long-term future in the horse. That was just the intimation anyway in the interview. Uh, the horse may well prove him wrong, may well get stronger, get bigger and better. But, um, you know, he, he, at this stage, uh, he's regarded as just a really good two-year-old. And uh, any any uh, prices for the guineas that people want to take, well, based on that interview, you, you know, you should just be a little bit wary about and the great thing about Richard Hannon is he does tend to speak his mind and just tell it as it is. So that is very much something to bear in mind. Uh, he's, yeah, he's terrific. Yeah, he's terrifically honest in interviews. And, mm-hmm. um, and of course, uh, you know, the business plan, there's so many of the horses at, at the Hannon's Yards, is they, they, they buy um, lovely types, but they're sharp, precocious horses. They, they've done tremendously well with two-year-olds over, over the years, horses that have won many of the top two-year-old races. And some of them have gone on, you know, like the Camford Cliffs, for example, uh, and become champions. But there's quite a few that really their two-year-old season is their best season. Yeah, that's, that's a very good shout, actually. Um, it is interesting, though, to be hearing about, uh, you know, I, I, by the way, I loved your subtle mention of how how great a, a, a two year old no name ever was. That's how you do it. That's how you. Well, get I'm waiting for the cap. <laughs> I'm, I'm hoping for the cap. I, I must speak to Kevin about this. You know, I'd love a no, I'd love a no name never cap, Kevin. So hopefully, I've just earned it. No name never <laughs> cap and a no name never jacket for the great <laughs> Simon Holt, please. Coming my way. <laughs> or, or as Joe Rogan would say, the great and powerful Simon Holt. Get, get it done. This is Simon. This is Simon Holt on the final Furlong podcast, giving you a free plug. Come on, man. Come on now, Kevin. You got to get this sorted. Kevin Buckley, by the way, we're talking about from. Uh, well, I, I, I mean, we'll get to Joe. We, we, we mentioned Joan of Art. I did speak to Kevin actually on um, on Friday ahead of Joan. I just said, well, you've had a bit of a quiet week, but Joan of Art seems to be extremely well fancied in the Nassau, judging from the market. And uh, he concurred, and he he was he left me in no doubt that she was confidently expected. And uh, it didn't happen anyway. The, the, but he's, he, I like Kevin because he's so approachable. Oh, Kevin. And, um, and you can just chat to him. He's a very, very, very amenable fellow. And, um, you know, it's good news for us uh, media folk uh, this side of the RST. It's great. 
genuinely and not just saying this uh, to be engaging in obsequious behavior, you can drop Kevin a WhatsApp at any time and um, and he'll get back to you if you have a question about a, a stallion or you have a question about a horse. And and that is one of yeah. the great things about Coolmore, to be fair. They are, they are very, very approachable. And um, um, yeah, Kevin just does his job. Kevin Buckley just does his job to to uh, a next level essentially, um, and it's also good that uh, he was telling you how well fancied uh, Joan of Arc was because uh, that means she's a horse that we can keep a very very close eye on uh, going forward. Um, so Armour very much a juvenile um, for this season, and um, that'll take us to uh, the Thursday. Uh, where the feature race was the Qatar NASA Stakes and a favorite horse of Simon Holtz. And in fact, Simon told you on the final Furlong podcast that the rightful winner of the Falmouth Stakes was Lady Bothorp and that she should be followed next time out. And if you listened and took his advice, gravy everywhere, as William Jarvis and Kieran Schumark win a group one. First group one for Kieran Schumark. Um, brilliant stuff for William Jarvis. James Savage was talking about how, uh, as the assistant trainer to Sir Michael Stout, he has the pleasure of seeing Lady Bothorp pretty much every morning as she gallops in Newmarket. And um, I I was very strong on Joan of Arc, and I couldn't believe, I had her, <laughs> sickeningly, I had her back at eight to one, uh, and I couldn't believe how how short in the betting she was. Uh, the other interesting point about this, though, is that Adoria, the night before, was 6-4. to four, And I actually mm. said to our mutual friend, Lee McKenzie, on TalkSport, uh, because he was there uh, as I was covering the, the racing from the comfort of my recliner chair in the living room. Not a joke, by the way. That's exactly how we do it. In this wonderful age of modern technology, um, has, has Adoria lost a leg? Uh, because how is this horse drifting so much? But it was a combination of the support for Joan of Arc and just the fact that the vibes must have been very, very bad about her. But let's start with Lady Bothorp and give her the credit that she deserves because the thing that was on the back of my mind was, will she truly stay 10 furlongs? And to be fair, Simon, uh, you were pretty confident that that's something that she would do on the final furlong podcast the last time you were on. Well, she'd won the Dahlia Stakes over nine furlongs, mile and a furlong at Newmarket earlier in the season. And it's a fairly um, easy run home over the mile and a quarter of Goodwood. They, they do have to climb a bit in the early stages. But um, the way she f- she's been finishing her races this season, I think you, you, you could you could be hopeful that she'd, she'd get the triple right. And I just think that she's thriving. You know, she's just getting better and better, great advert for keeping horses going and she's never been better now than at any other stage in her career and there's probably a bit more to come as well and it was just an all-round great story as you've outlined with Kieran Schumark who had his uh, issues in the past and has bounced back and William Jarvis who's now down to about 28 horses and you it just doesn't happen very often on the flat well, it probably doesn't happen very much over jumps now. So in racing that you get um, such a small yard um, turning up a group one winner and she really deserved to win at the highest level after her run in the Falmouth. I mean, it was a, it was just uh, ex-certificate stuff really. And she really deserved to win there. 
And of course, she chased home Palace Pier in the lock-in stakes early in the season. And Palace Pier came into the season head and shoulders the top miler in uh, Britain and Ireland on ratings. So it's all been there. And it was just really the the, the day it had to click. And uh, I thought that it was a, a fabulous performance. I, I would also mention that I thought Zayadar, the runner-up, ran a fantastic race. And in some ways, she she travelled equally as well as Lady Beaufort. In fact, she was still on the bridle going inside the final quarter mile. And Zayadar, who, who bombed out in the Oaks earlier in the season, and now perhaps we just take it that she didn't get the trip that day. But back over a mile and a quarter, she'd won at Newcastle in Group 3 before running in the um, Nassau Stakes. And uh, gosh, she travelled well. And she is going to win a big one as well, I think. But Lady Beaufort, from here, I mean, she's got lots of options, really. Uh, she could go for the champion stakes on Champions Day, particularly as she goes well with some cut in the ground. And it was mentioned that she could run in the Prix Jean Romanet uh, in France, which is another Group 1. Again, uh, the pace of that race might be uh, might be slower, Um Maybe you can get these odd results, but she she's got a good old powerful turn of foot as well. I I just like everything about her, and I love everything about the story. To be honest, yeah, I agree with you, and I think you summed that up beautifully as well for both horses. Um, to be fair, but particularly Lady Bothorpe. Uh, what did you make of Joan of Arc's run in the end, and also uh, Adoria? Um, what's your thoughts on how she drifted in the market and how she ultimately ran? Well, that was extraordinary. I mean, you know, she had a, an excellent chance on on form. I mean, she was a progressive filly last season. Uh, she she won at the Breeders' Cup and she came out and uh, chased home love in the Prince of Wales Estates at Royal Ascot. Well, you, you could argue that neither love or the third armory really boosted that form on their next starts. But even so, it looked a really good return by Audaria. And just as you say, extraordinary, the drift in the market, but possibly as a result of the money coming for Joan of Arc. I, I think uh, she ran a, a good enough race. I, the the quality of horses in France, I don't believe, and three-year-olds in particular, is that high. I think the uh, three-year-olds in Britain and Ireland are better. And I think that the arc will probably be fought out by um, a British or Irish runner. So I wouldn't overrate her performance in the Prix de Diane and what she beat there, but she did win with a bit in hand. I think this was a step up in class, uh, quite a big one, actually, uh, given that she'd also been beaten by her stable companion, Empress Josephine, earlier on in the uh, Irish guineas. Mm. So I thought she ran well, and she's she's going to be an improver, I think. I think she'll keep improving. And maybe this was uh, just uh, a bit beyond her at this at this point in her career. But uh, knowing the way Aidan O'Brien trains and how his horses do tend to improve with their racing and through the season, I, I wouldn't be surprised if she's got a big race in her before the end of 2021. Well, she's in the matron stakes for Irish Champions Weekend. Um, she does have an entry in the Darley Yorkshire Oaks, but we all know who's going to be running there. <coughs> Snowfall, and um, she is. Uh, she actually also has an entry for the Irish Champion Stakes, which is uh, quite interesting. So, uh, ten furlongs in a mile are, are going to be options for her. And as a Galileo, we already know they for for Aidan O'Brien, they just keep on thriving. So, 
Um, uh, I wouldn't be giving up on her in, in the slightest. It was a fascinating race, that. Uh, what was also a fascinating race was the John Pierce Racing Gordon Stakes, the Group 3, uh, which ended up being an Irish 1-2. Uh, Johnny Murta wasn't at Goodwood on the previous day, but he flew over to watch his Ottoman Emperor run with Ben Cohen on board. And uh, just by half a length, to my frustration, uh, Simon, might I add, um, with Sir Lucan getting nailed, uh, Ottoman Emperor ends up being a very, very good winner of the uh, Gordon Stakes and proving yet again what a fantastic job that Johnny Murta is doing. And last year, Johnny was really emphasizing, I think it was on um, on ITV, but also on, on RTE, he was emphasizing just how he doesn't want to be known as Johnny Murta the jockey anymore. He wants to be known as Johnny Murta the trainer. And he continuously, and I think he's, he might, actually that might have been an RTE, uh, to be fair, with Jane Mangan, because he he had just trained uh, the Group 1 winner. And um, the more you see his success as a trainer, and uh, the more big owners he attracts, Coolmore are now in the yard as well, uh, the more you realize what a fantastic trainer he is. And he's done a great job with this fella. And he was fancied by quite a few shrewdies. And he's got the job done quite well in the end. Well, I think Johnny is, he's a very uh, amiable sort of fella. And um, I've always always liked him, actually. And uh, I think he's very determined, though, underneath. And I, I remember we were over at the Dubai World Cup one year, and it was like 40 degrees, you know, and... Um, out there in the morning and, and there was Johnny running around the track in a in an overcoat almost because <laughs> <You know? laughs> he, he had a lot of weight issues you know and, um, yeah. and he had a, a few other issues before that but you know he was an excellent jockey as you say he's becoming a, a an excellent tra- trainer as well as good as a trainer and uh, this horse really caught the eye going to the start before this race he was a lovely scopy type he strode out well and he's going to keep on improving. It was a it was a step up in trip, and it was a step up in class for him. I think he was very well ridden. Uh, he, he got first run on them. He certainly got first run on Salukan, who I thought was given a bit too much to do. I'm sure you might agree with that if you were frustrated. I thought, yes. I, thought he, I thought he had too much to do. And uh, Ottoman Emperor just kept going and was always just just holding on. You know, I guess that they'll be looking. Um, maybe at the St. Ledger, I don't know. It, the Gordon can be a bit of a trial for the St. Ledger. That would be another step up in distance. But he does look a, an out-and-out galloper and a horse that's going to improve. He's got a lot of size. I was really impressed with him going to the start, and uh, I liked him a lot. I didn't actually think he'd be good enough to win on his previous form, even though he'd won his previous, what, two or three races because of the step-up in class. I thought the trip would probably be no problem, but the step-up in class I thought might be an issue. I was quite keen on third realm because I thought he had a pretty rough passage in the derby, and after all, he had beaten a day at Lingfield. Not that I think that form should be taken uh, Faithfully, I think Adair has obviously become a, a much better horse since. But just before, uh, in the in the racing post, they have these um, quotes, don't they, from the trainers. And yep. I read that morning, and there was just something in the way Roger Varian was talking about the horse that, that he has. They've got other target or they, you know plans for him later on in the season, then coming back off the break between the Derby and and Goodwood, that. Um, 
it, it was just, again, reading between the lines. I did just half wonder whether the horse was going to be absolutely wound up for the Gordon. He ran well. Um, I was a bit disappointed that uh, he couldn't win, to be honest. But uh, there may be improvement for the run forthcoming. I wonder, though, if that improvement is going to just be undone by the fact that uh, the aforementioned Sir Lucan um, wasn't given an overly hard time by Frankie, and he has he has had an awful lot to do. He's had to come from a long, long way back. Um, I know he was a little bit outpaced. I don't mind that, because we're talking about uh, a mile four, but really we're talking about the St. Ledger and heading for a mile six, and uh, it's okay to get outpaced at a, at a certain point, um, because ultimately you're going to be really staying and staying strongly towards the finish, and that's exactly what Sir Lucan has done. He has stayed on very, very strongly. Prior to this run, he had beaten Wordsworth. He and and this is where it's great to be able to talk to Aidan O'Brien on the Final Forum podcast because at the start of the season when I did the stable tour with him, I asked him for five horses to follow. And I think Sir Lucan might have been the second horse he mentioned. Mm. And that they really, really, really liked him. And obviously he was disappointing at Sandown. And that kind of took him out of the Derby reckoning. And Coolmore ended up only going with one runner in the Derby, who ended up getting injured, but has since gone on to win in America and Bolshoi Ballet. And we'll see how he does uh, towards the rest of the season. His, um, next, his next start was Navin, where he beats Wordsworth. Wordsworth franks that form by being placed at Royal Ascot, being placed in the Irish Derby, and being placed in the Grand Prix de Paris. And Sir Luke, and actually speaking to Aidan O'Brien then for Royal Ascot, uh, I was mentioning Sir Lucan, and he said, oh no, he won't be running. Uh, to which I replied, oh, has he picked up an injury? No, 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 it's just we want to keep him for the back end of the season meaning the St. Ledger. And I thought this was a, a really taking run to the point that I immediately backed him for the St. Ledger and uh, managed to get a double-figure price. Went back and he was 10s. Just bear in mind, I'm, I'm talking to Shaban on TalkSport and I'm trying to like do these things at the same time because I know it's going to happen. The horse is going to get caught. And uh, the the second price I got was tens, and by the time I go back in again, he's, he's eights, and I'm like, ah, nah, I'll leave, I'll leave it now. But I would love to to get your take on on his run and what you thought of his performance, because I obviously I think that he's got the minerals to go and win a Saint Ledger. Well, I think in a normal year, possibly yes, but if Hurricane Lane runs in Saint Ledger. What is going to beat him? I mean, he's he's got it all as far as the St. Ledger is concerned. He's, he's got a, a really stamina-laden pedigree. There's, a, there's absolutely no doubt in my mind that Hurricane Lane will will get the trip really well in the Ledger. As you said, he uh, Salukan ties him with Wordsworth. Wordsworth was beaten a long way by Hurricane Lane in the Grand Prix de Paris. Um, he looks a bit of a one-pace horse, to be honest, Wordsworth, for my money. Sir Lucan confounds, he confounds me, Sir Lucan, because I quite fancied him for that classic, uh, that race at um, 
Sandown early in the season. Was it the classic trial? The classic the trial, spot on. Yeah, that Alan Kirby's had a day off. Yeah, um, and I mean, who was ferociously weak in the market that day? I think I, I put him up on the Sporting Life website, and he was about five to one, six to one. I mean, he was he was double figure odds, and uh, he ran no race whatsoever. And it was the only runner that Aiden sent over that day, and. Um, I remember talking to a trainer actually coming out of the, the, the meeting that day and, and we were just puzzled, odd, you know, sending one horse over and um, it just hasn't run any sort of race at all when he could easily have trialled in Ireland. So whether that the fact that he ran there suggested they did have hopes that he, he was going to be a classic contender, uh, he'd hardly have gone to Sandown just for a run out. Uh, or not not fit, and he looked fit, I remember that day. So I've been a bit puzzled by the horse. I don't think his run in the Gordon, uh, as it stands, will be good enough to win the St. Ledger, but the way he ran on, and as we've agreed, was given plenty to do, he certainly seems to be going the right way. But, uh, you know, I think Hurricane Lane is just going to take all the beating if uh, Charlie Appleby as he seems to be likely to do, sends him to Doncaster and, and sends a day R for the Ark. They seem to be very, very keen to go for the St. Ledger. Well, he's by Frankel out of a Scirocco mare, and I think the dam uh, stayed two miles. So mm. I think it's just you know very likely that Hurricane Lane is going to thrive over the St. Ledger distance of a mile and three quarters. And that seems to be the way that uh, Charlie Appleby is thinking. And and you can't blame him. I mean, the way he won the Grand Prix de Paris, uh, he certainly wasn't stopping at the end. Of, well, and in the Irish Derby, of course, you know, he's absolutely rolled home, hasn't he, to, to, uh, to catch Martin Mead's horse, Lone Eagle. So uh, he's all about stamina. So I would say for all the promise of maybe Ottoman Emperor and Seleucan in the Gordon Stakes, that um, they're going to be up against it, against that horse in in, in, uh, in the St. Ledger at Doncaster. Yeah, Hurricane Lane is going to be uh, a monster to try and slay. And uh, I think it's great that Godolphin are going for it, by the way. I think it's it's fantastic that they're doing this. Um, and uh, the, Adair is getting the, the arc prep after the fantastic King George win. And... Um, Yes, proving me wrong. I was all over love that day, so egg on face, but that's fine. Uh, not the first time, won't be the last. And um, sometimes you get it right, and uh, maybe we'll get it right with Sir Lucan, in which case uh, gravy everywhere. I just think that there's a lot of stamina there and um, a lot more to come as well. I did, he wouldn't have been fired up uh, there, and I'd say Frankie knew that, but... Oh, he did give him a lot to do in fairness um, but if Hurricane Lane is there it's going to be a fantastic race and of course it'll be live on, on ITV uh, 4.05 um, but that's way in the future that's 11, the 11th of September uh, the same weekend of course as Irish Champions Weekend so um, Simon is he's bringing me down to earth he's trying to calm me down don't get overly mm-hmm. excited about sir luke and uh, you know you know hold matt tough uh briefly uh, asymmetric took the juvenile race on the day and uh, had to come from uh, a fair way back himself um but once he was switched right and got into the clear he's just he's he's done enough and he's another flat winner for alan king who I suppose now must be just about the leading dual-purpose 
trainer in Britain, given his success on the flats. Correct me. Uh, maybe I think he must be, you know, so um, and training two year olds, which he's done for a number of years, he's had two year olds. Uh, this would be obviously probably the best so far. It was a pretty slow run race to Richmond, and um, it was impressive, therefore, how asymmetric did pick up in the closing stages. And I think the runner up, Kunan, who had run second over six furlongs at Pontefract on soft ground previously would have been better suited by a stronger run race on that basis. He actually split um, Angel Blur, the aforementioned Angel Blur, and Le Sale, who went on to win the July 6th. So that was very strong form. So I think Kunan's a, a horse to keep an eye on. Gabas the third apparently does all his work with Armour, who won the Malcolm Stakes. So they're both uh, pretty sharp types. But uh, Asymmetric was just a bit too classy for them in, in, in terms of the speed he showed in the closing stages. So uh, it'd be uh, uh, interesting to see which way he goes. I think uh, he'd probably get the seven, no problem. Whether he'd get a mile, don't know. But, um, you know, he was a... Um, would he have been the best two-year-old winner of the week? Armour was... Very impressive, wasn't he? But um, certainly, given the slow pace, I think he did very well to win as well as he did. He's in the gym crack and he's also in the Group 1 pre-Mornay as well. So, uh, Alan yes. King... I, I almost think Alan King is having a better time of it with his flat horses than he is his jumpers. And um, is that is that bonkers to say? No, I don't think it is, actually. And, and I think uh, while... While I think he probably still has more jumping horses than flat horses, it's much more level than it used to be. Mm. And I think it must make financial sense to, to keep the, the stable open and busy and the staff infused all the year round, keeping the turnover going. Um, if you can get the flat horses as well as the jump, jumping horses, so I'm, I'm sure you know the, it's a business model that, that, that works. I know a lot of the jumps trainers, now even the top ones, Nicky Henderson, Paul Nichols, they are having quite a few runners on during the summer jumping period. And it just makes sense. I don't really understand trainers that uh, are limiting themselves to midwinter racing, really, just over a few months. And then what are they doing for the rest of the, the year, even if they might buy a few um, off the flat to go juvenile hurdling during the summer. You know, it just, uh, I would have thought that having a 12-month business rather than a, an eight-month business is, uh, is makes economic sense. 100% agree with you there. Uh, £685,000 in prize money Alan King mm. has taken on the flat this season so far, with the season far from over, and in the last five seasons, £2.6 So he's probably ahead of his previous seasons, and um, yeah. you'd imagine there's there's more success to come. Uh, just before we get to Friday, Tote Plus is proving to once again be an incredible success. And if you're not on this, I really don't know what to say to you. Tote are giving you free money, right? They're just throwing money at you. All you have to do is place a bet, and um, if you manage to get a winner, well then, congratulations. If you've backed that horse with Tote, tote.co.uk, tote.ie, or the official Tote app, then you get a 10% bonus on top of your winnings, courtesy of Tote Plus. But it's only available at tote.ie, tote.co.uk, and the official Tote app. For Goodwood, uh, Tote Plus beat the SP 
on 69% of the races, 25 out of 36. Uh, the Total Plus Exacta beat the bookies' forecast on 81% of the races, and uh, the Total Plus Trifecta beat the bookies on 83% of the races. And uh, returns from a one-pound bet on every runner during the entire week with Tote S with Tote Plus. If you were taking the SP, two hundred and forty-three pounds, eighty-two pence, two hundred and forty-seven pounds, eighty-two pence on Tote with Tote Plus, two hundred and seventy-eight pounds and forty-five pence. You got to be getting involved in this. Uh, in terms of the Whirlpool, there were three days of the Whirlpool. Um, day one, £18.4 million matched in the tote market. Day two, £19.8 million matched. And it went up again for day three with £21 million being matched. Uh, days two and three saw every race with gross pools of £2 million plus. Uh, and the tote also beat bookies over rounds on every single race that was part of Whirlpool, with seven out of 22 races seeing the tote over broke. Now, you wouldn't see a bookmaker doing that. You'd never see a bookmaker doing that. Uh, tote, tote matched the SP on Trushan, uh, thanks to the tote SP guarantee, for example. Uh, the same for Alcohol Free and Lady Bothorpe, and uh, with Tote Plus as well not only was the SP matched, you were actually getting that little bonus too. So if you are doing your bets with Tote through a sportsbook, through an affiliate, you're not getting Tote Plus and you're not getting the Tote SP guarantee. So don't make the mistake. Take advantage. Tote.co.uk, tote.ie, or download the official Tote app. And if you want further proof, the biggest place pot dividend came on the Saturday with a tote plus dividend of £5,373.94. Simon Holt, how much I would have loved to have cracked that place pot, but unfortunately, I did not. Uh, the King George Qatar Stakes on the Friday was the feature race, and Swissa, Swassa, give me the French pronunciation, please, Simon. I don't know, actually. I caught a Swayza, um, but um, very impressive. Maybe was on the right side of the course. Mm. Of course, the race was featured by a disappointing run from Batash. The Dragon Symbol ran well. I thought Glass Slippers came back. This was her first run of the season. She started late last season, ran second behind Batash in this race last year before going on to uh, the bigger races in the autumn. But, um, no, she was incredibly impressive. And, uh, you know, she she didn't really um, get involved in the Commonwealth Cup beforehand at, uh, at Royal Ascot, but uh, she looked very good earlier in the season in France. And we'll just see if, um, if it was uh, a fluke or not, you know. Uh, I know she's very highly re regarded by trainer Francois Rowe, um, but um, it was a big step forward. That was over six furlongs of course, at Royal Ascot. And this was over a very easy five. And she did look all about speed, even though she'd won at Chantilly over six films earlier in the season, which is a very stiff six films uphill uh, most of the way. So uh, a good performance. Dragon Symbol, I know you mentioned that Asheen wants to persevere over five films with him. 
maybe a slightly stiffer five. I don't know. When he won over five earlier in the season, it was at Hamilton, which is a very stiff five. But he didn't really have any answer um, to uh, to Swayze. And uh, she's lightly raced. She's only had, uh, I think, six starts. So, you know, she's going to be a hard one to beat. And I dare say she'll turn up in the Prix de Labo. Well, I'll actually give you the uh, official line from... Oshin Murphy, so our listeners have already heard this, but Simon, here you go. Uh, she, A dragon symbol is going to go for the Nunthorpe, the... Oh, sorry, sorry there, uh, Simon. The Coolmore. Yeah, indeed. Wooden, indeed. wooden Bassett <laughs> Nunthorpe stakes. Um, there's the... He'll, he'll go for the Coolmore, Wooden Bassett Nunthorpe stakes. He's then going to the Curra for the Derenstown Stud, Flying Five, Group mm. 1. And he was talking about how Jap- the Japanese owners are desperate for him to run on uh, Arc Weekend. So he will be heading to the Prix de l'Abbé as well. So he will be rematching with uh, Suisa. And um, he did... Oshin was pretty adamant that had things gone right, he could have been in, in the winner's enclosure. But he's, he's adamant that five is the trip to, to stay with. Well, I think I thought the race went well enough for Dragon Symbol. He seemed to get a good toe into it, and um, the gap appeared at the right time. But he was he was kind of away from the the winner out in the middle there. And um, as I said earlier on, I think there was a bit of an advantage being nearer the stands rail. I think that was borne out on a number of occasions during the week. Mm-hmm. So whether she's slightly flattered by it, but you had to be impressed by by how she picked up, I and mean, she she soon had the race won. You know, once once she um, was asked to quicken, she she went three lengths clear, and uh, you know you have to say she was really impressive. But oh. uh, I know I know Ashin's got a you know he's got a real connection with Dragon Symbol because he had a hand in in buying the horse. Well, he he and, was the, uh, he was the one who picked him. He he bought him. Yeah, yeah, it was he bought, a great he bought him with his own money. Yeah, what a great pick that was. I mean, you know, the, an unraced horse at the beginning of the season, and he's come a very long way. So that's very impressive, and uh, just shows that Oshin is a is a pretty pretty good judge, you know. I, I was just gonna I wanted to just talk a little bit about Oshin because um, talk to me. Um, I don't. Um, and actually, the other day uh, our paths crossed, and he called me Richard, which isn't <laughs> <laughs> which isn't un, it's something that happens quite often that people get me and Richard Hoyles. Richard uh, Hoyles, how are you doing? <laughs> <laughs> so he called me Richard anyway. I know I don't never bother to correct it, you know, and uh, it, it doesn't matter. Uh, people seem to think that we look alike. Um, we do the same job, though, you know. So maybe he's the confusion. But don't I, I just look think, like it all. <laughs> <laughs> well, well, Richard, um, yeah, Richard probably be he could probably give me a few pounds, I guess. Um, not being not wishing to be unkind. <laughs> He's a, I don't think he'd be listening. He's, a, he's on holiday at the moment. He could probably give me a few pounds. Um, but um, what what I was at Lingfield um, early last week. I on the Monday I was commentating, and um, Ashin was there. And I just in between races, I tend to just hover around, you know, and talk to anyone who's around, and maybe listen to the post race interview. And um, and I was so impressed how you know he, he's asked to take part in photos you know want, people want photos with him they want they want a bit of him you know because he's he's champion jockey and, and he's, he's just so willing and and amenable and also 
he he puts a lot of time in i think in in promoting this sport because it seems to me that he he just always goes along with it in recent weeks i've seen him jump in the thames on sky sports racing at the behest of matt chapman oh, jesus take, christ I've, yeah i've seen him t- i've seen him um, take part in a um a sort of triathlon a mini triathlon indoors with a couple of other jockeys and that was uh, i think great british racing which is the sports promoters in britain were behind that and he's also taken part in some show jumping and you know, he, he just is doing a great job at promoting the sport. He, he's a he's a fabulous jockey, but I think he's a great guy as well. And uh, I think we're very lucky to have him. We're very lucky to have him. And he's great on social media as well. And even though he calls me Richard, even though he calls you Richard, yeah, that's... I'm not in. I'm not insulted by that. Me and Richard and I are very good friends. There's no rivalry or what have you. But uh, you know. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Clear, clearly it didn't leave a lasting <laughs> mark on you at all, Simon. That is, it's had zero effect on you whatsoever. But, uh, no, we are no, looking. I'm, to... I'm not bleeding. I'm not bleeding. <laughs> no, no. There's, there's no, there's no blood on the floor there at all. Um, and I assume, I assume you talked to, to Jim Crowley about Batash, and yes. I, I suppose I would, I would just say that um, it just feels like the right decision to retire him. I mean, that performance at Goodwood was so far below his best on a on a track that really is ideal for him. And he, okay, the ground might not have been ideal, but he has won with cutting the ground in the past. And as they said, as I think Angus Gold said, you know, his horse has had quite a lot of problems over the years. He owes them absolutely nothing. He's the fastest horse I've seen running in Britain, I think, since Deja. And uh, I, I hope he has a, a really nice retirement. I could not echo those words more. I did speak to a trainer yesterday, though, who said, I can't believe they've retired him. And um, that the decision was taken very quickly. But that being said, uh, Shika Hissa Hamdan Al Maktoum, who's the daughter of uh, the late great Hamdan Al Maktoum, um, and by the way, it's fantastic that she's leading the way and is the front now of, of Shadwell because she loves horse racing. And I've, um, I've spoken to a number of, of trainers and jockeys in the UK um, and indeed in Ireland as well. She has, she's come over to the UK and she's come to Ireland. She's met up with essentially everybody who Shadwell are connected with. Um, the trainers, jockeys, shaking hands with everybody, obviously COVID protocols, blah, 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 whatever. We're all sick of it at this stage. She's, she's shaking hands and hugged everyone uh, who's involved with, um, with Shadwell, whether it's on the stud and breeding side of the operation or on the racing side uh, of the operation and made it her business to do so because she loves the game. She loves racing, and she's done the same here in Ireland. She's come over and, and met trainers that um, Shadwell have and is, is looking at the operation. Because when you see them scaling back in Australia and like essentially dispersing in the way they, they did, you, you start to get a little bit worried. Um, but I think racing is in safe hands uh, with, um, with uh, Shika Hissa. Hamdan Al Maktoum. Um, she seems very, very determined to continue to back the sport. And it's a little bit different to Judmont because their stallion fees mean that they can just continue to operate almost automatically. And Angus Gold is on the brink of, of retirement, and that's 
going to be a huge blow given the fact that he's been such a, a massive part of the uh, Hamdan al Maktoum Shadwell operation as well. But um, it it does seem as though racing is in good hands with uh, with well the operation is in good hands with uh, Shika Hissa Hamdan al Maktoum, and it's great that she is the the face of the operation as well. And um, we'll we'll see what they do, but. Uh, he was a fantastic horse, Patash, and, and uh, Jim Crowley paid um, a very uh, a very great tribute and great compliment to him. He was also paying great compliment to Bayid. Now, yes. Simon, when you're looking for uh, a horse of excitement and you're looking for a horse that gets the blood going and uh, gives you a bit of goosebumps, uh, he's odds-on. It's a group three. It was a winnable race. But my God, Bayid was impressive. And I don't think he's been overhyped at all. Because I, and the reason I, I, I didn't think that is because of the interview I did with Jim Crowley Friday morning for TalkSport. And on that interview, he said, we were gutted. He said, we and I were gutted that we missed the St. James's Palace Stakes. Mm. Now just think about that. That's an unraced juvenile who would have been going in deeply inexperienced into that race, but they wanted to go into Group 1 company. And so immediately, some listeners will say, well, in that case, Kennedy, why didn't they go for the Sussex Stakes? Well, why would you when he is inexperienced and this race was in the calendar? Um, But it's going to be Group 1 company from now on. And uh, as Jim was saying, it's France. Um, there's, There's one possible caveat there in that... Jim Crowley may not be able to go to France given the current COVID uh, precautions and um, uh, the current COVID regulations. That being said, Shadowell may very well send him anyway and just have their French jockey uh, ride by Eid. And then he could come back and um, while it wasn't, Lydia Hislop made a very good point. In every interview, uh, William Haggis and... um, the representatives for Shadwell were not mentioning the QE2. They were mentioning all kind of kinds of races, but they weren't mentioning the QE2. But that has changed, and that is now firmly on the agenda. They're very, very keen. And uh, it's actually... Shika Hissa, Hamdan al-Maktoum, was um, keen to emphasize that Ascot is very... And Champions Day at Ascot is very, very much on the agenda. How highly up the rankings can this horse go? Because... The official rating for Poetic Flair is 124. Uh, the RPR now for Baid is 124 plus. Uh, we, await, we await the official rating to come out, but how highly and uh, what kind of a ranking in the mining division do you think he can take? Well, there's no saying at the moment how far he can go. I, I think it's uh, with regard to the St. James's Palace stakes. I, I don't think the horse came to hand early enough. Uh, he didn't run till the, the end of the first week in June. So it um, would hardly have gone to St. James's Palace stakes without a run. And I think William Haggis is, he's a, there's no shrewder trainer for me in the country. And I think he likes to take the steps up and not, not over try them too soon. And, he made the point after the race that this horse has now had four runs since uh, the beginning of June uh, up until the end of July, uh, having never raced as a two-year-old. So he's he's had a fairly busy schedule. And uh, the Moulin could be ideal because it affords a 
decent enough break. It's in the beginning of September, so he can have the, the whole of August practically off and uh, be trained for the Mulan. I, I mean, you couldn't fail to be impressed with him, but, you know, you've always got to try and contextualise things, I think. You know, visually, it was fantastic. He came right away with them. You'd have to say that he's going to meet uh, more potent opposition for sure in the future. The two that chased him home, El Drama and Tasman Bay, were both dropping in distance. And he had no trouble uh, beating them for speed. Tasman Bay was dropping back half a mile from his run at Royal Ascot in the King Edward the Seventh Stakes. Uh, he's heading for a race called the Pre-Guillaume Dornano over at Dover, which is over a mile and a quarter. And I understand the plan with him, with him was to try and get a bit of speed into him ahead of that race, which is a, a very hot Group 2 race usually. And El Drama was um, dropping back, having run last of four. Not disgraced, I didn't think, behind St Mark's Basilica in the in the Coral Eclipse. But uh, it, it, um, it was a really impressive performance. Not surprising that the winning time was a fair bit slower than the Golden Mile on the same car, but that's a furiously run handicap. And once he just uh, he just changed his legs at around the furlong mark and just inside, he was away and gone. And uh, he's not an over big horse, but he's it's all there. You know, it's all there in perfect confirmation and brilliant galloper. And I think as Jim Crowley might have said afterwards, they wouldn't have any problem going up to a mile and a quarter with him. But at the moment, it looks as though they're going to stick to a mile. Yeah, I see the stars um, and the dam one over a mile and a quarter for John Hammond in France. So on pedigree, uh, he have absolutely no trouble going a mile and a quarter. He actually mentioned that um, as because he's going to stay in training next season, all being well, that um, they'll have no issue going up to 10 furlongs next season, which just gives you more excitement. So the celebration mile is there as a backup, but uh, it looks as though they're very keen to go for the Moulin. Um, the Prix-Jacques de Marois is probably going to come too soon. That'll be August 15th. I think they're trying to get Palace Pier ready for that um, after the, the blood infection ruled him out of the race. But um, well, he won that last year. He did. Palace Pier, and um, that is definitely the plan to, to go back for the Marois. You're right. I think it would be a bit too soon uh, for uh, Baid to go there. Uh, why go there when you can wait and just freshen up a bit for the for the Moulin? Um, and I think it's likely that the Moulin it doesn't tend to be quite as hot as the Mauar. The Mauar is a, a really prestigious race and uh, attracts a very strong entry usually. Very much so. And how exciting is it for Ascot? And uh, ITV are probably salivating at, at the idea of being able to cover this. The prospect of Palace Pier maybe alcohol-free, um, Baid and Poetic Flair all lining up in the QE2, unless one or two of those have been persuaded to go to the Breeders' Cup. We'll have to wait and see, but either way, this, the, this is the great thing about racing. We can dream. We can dream, Simon. And um, I'm sure that there's a, a number of listeners. In fact, I was speaking to um, some very shrewd punters over the weekend who have backed Wonderful Tonight as though defeat's out of the question for the ARC. Mm. Um, I'm not sure if any ARC winner has had a prep in the Qatar. 
Lily Langtree stakes over a mile six. Um, I'm, I'm sure that there are horses who have run over a mile six, but whether they've gone this way or not. But uh, David Minussier is just proving to be an absolute genius. Uh, another winner for William Buick, Oshin Cheek and his fist in anger, finishing second to him. Um, he's okay. He still leads the Jockeys Championship. But um, Wonderful Tonight is is definitely a, a very exciting uh, filly. She's now a Royal Ascot winner, um, beating Broom, who's gone on to win a Group 1 in France since. And uh, she's now gone to, to Goodwood and won in, in really impressive style. Is she a, a potential arc winner, though, in your eyes? Oh, absolutely. Um, she, she relished racing in France last season, um, providing the ground was soft enough. Uh, that's where she did her, her improvement, really, and that's where she really uh, began to look like a, a high-class filly. So uh, it was always going to be on the agenda that she'd come back this season. And the arc, I know, having spoken to David earlier in the season, the arc is absolutely the number one target. And it's just a case of plotting their way to Longchamp in early October. Um, she'd won over a mile and three quarters last season in France. Uh, on on Saturday, she was way too fresh. She overraced early on in the race, and I don't know why she did that. I think she's a, a filly that might even uh, settle a bit better if if allowed to lead. And she was winning races from the front last season. And she just seemed to want to go after uh, Makawi, who made the running in the Lily Langtree. And she was just too fresh. But she saw it out well. And William Buick said afterwards that really the problem was that they weren't going fast enough for her and that uh, she'd be a better filly off a, off a truer gallop. And I'm sure that's correct. She's a, she's a real class act. But, you know, the arc this season looks like being a cracker. We, we, we could have three high-class fillies running in it. Uh, you've got Snowfall, of course, uh, wonderful tonight, and Dermot World's filly, Tanawa, who won the Prix de l'Opera last season and um, and also won at the Breeders' Cup. Breeders' she? Cup winners all, yeah. And she, too, is being trained specifically for the arc. Uh, she's she's a, a really talented filly. She's a bit tricky at the stalls, doesn't always want to go into the stalls, but she's uh, very professional in her races. And then, of course, you've got the Derby and King George winner, Adair, uh, who I think will be uh, a perfect fit for the arc. I think if uh, if uh, he can get a, good, a reasonable draw and jump out handy, he, he's going to take some stopping in the arc. So it, it looks like being a fantastic race, again, as it always is, is, uh, but she's a leading contender for sure. Uh, it'll obviously be a much stiffer task than she faced in the Lily Langtry, which is only a group two. Probably going to go for the Priva May, I would have thought, for the uh, art prep. And then on uh, to the first Sunday in October. One one thing I would just uh, point out, we we're just mentioning Snowfall there. Mm. The filly that she's beaten a couple of times this season, Stable Companion Divinely, didn't really do a lot for snowfall in that Lily Langtree. And I think, although it seems um, almost curmudgeonly to say that a horse that's won so impressively um, this season, I, I'm just beginning to wonder whether snowfall has beaten a lot and um, that um, I'd like to see her. I know she's won, she won the Oaks by 16 lengths and the Irish Oaks by quite a long, long way as well. But, you know, you, you if you're a form student, you would say, well, 
you know, the form hasn't really been boosted very well. And Divinely was only fifth in the leading entry. And uh, it'll be interesting if Snowfall has any opposition in the Yorkshire Oaks. It's, it's quite likely that it'll be that she'll be long odds on and there won't be a, a major rival. But uh, just going into an arc at the end of the season when she's going to have absolutely top class opposition that you know it may be that we're a little bit in the dark as to exactly how good she is and the argument will be put forward uh for the case of the prosecution uh with um a comparison to love who will say well yes love has come out and won the prince of oil stakes but she has then been found out in the king george and your honor this surely proves that Snowfall has it all to prove because that's all Love had done last year is beaten Phillies. And it's that's a reasonable case to make. I suspect that Love was not at her best in, in the King George and I'm willing to forgive her that run and, um, and see her again. I wouldn't be completely just rubbishing her and ruling her out. There's also a possibility that some of Aiden's horses maybe aren't quite firing in the way that they should be right now. Yeah, and, and, and they'll they'll improve. Um in terms of, of Snowfall, the only thing that I could say to defend her is I don't like her price. Um, and I don't like her price for the arc, particularly considering uh, the opposition. And I'm, I'm, you've already, I think you've alluded to who you like for the race, but I'll, I'm, I'm going to get your take on it in a second. Um, but the interview that Ryan Moore gave Lydia Hislop, and I know I've mentioned this before on the show, but I think it's important to, to reemphasize this. When she won the Musidora, she was 14 to 1. And the great thing about Lydia is she asks the questions that you, the viewer, you, the the fan, you, the, the broadcaster, want asked. And um, one of those questions was, do you have to go from the front? You know, what, was this a surprise? And do you have to go from, from the front? Now, she asked those in more detailed ways. And... Uh, essentially, Ryan Moore said, if I can wrap this up succinctly, it wasn't a surprise that they thought the world of her as a juvenile. Aidan O'Brien was on this show several times last year. Twice he said, I pushed the two-year-olds too hard to get them ready for Royal Ascot. Um, even some of them that didn't run at, at the Royal meeting were pushed hard to get ready for it because in Ireland, we didn't have a, an awful lot of time to prepare we essentially had one week to get there, and that goes to show how well Battleground did to win at the meeting. Um, and that a lot of them were pushed quite hard, and then some of them got sick. And he said, at the at the end of the season, when he very kindly came on and was doing uh, a wrap-up of the season with me, and I talked about his juveniles and how good St. Mark's Basilica had been, um, he said, keep the faith with some of the, the two-year-olds that you've seen this year. Keep the faith with them because I'm telling you, they're going to be better next year. It was a, it was a strange year and things will, you'll see better performances next year. And this is a horse that they thought the world of. I know for a fact they thought the world of her. Um, and Ryan Moore re-emphasized that. They tried her in, after she broke her maiden, Every race she ran in was a group race. It was uh, group three, then group two, and then group ones. Uh, they were trying to get her to run at the Breeders' Cup as well, and they took her over there. So she had that experience of of tra- a long journey, travel, and then back. And Ryan Moore's point about the Musidora was, you don't have to ride her from the front. You can ride her any way you want. 
midfield, hold her up, go from the front. And he had to be on Santa Barbara, given the hype surrounding her and given uh, Vesterberg's investment in the horse. He had to be on her. And she'd run a fine race in, in the 1,000 guineas, which is a, a genuine classic trial. But she set the record for a classic victory in in that 16-length win. And Frankie Dettori is adamant he could have won by further. She's then broken another record at the Curra by winning by eight and a half lengths. And my feeling with her is that she's just an utter machine. And she can only beat what's put in front of her. And she's going to have all of those allowances as well. Um, so while I don't like her price, I prefer her currently to a Dayar. But the other horse that I quite like is is St. Mark's Basilica. And I think I'd be surprised if he's not given a shot at this because he cost a fortune. He'll go for the Jumbo International. He'll go for the Irish Champion Stakes and then probably go for, for the Ark unless they pull a crazy Ivan and go for the Champion Stakes at Ascot instead. But I, I suspect they will try and go for a mile four with him. And he's won twice in France already. Um, which leads me to asking... The great Simon Holt, who writes a brilliant column for the uh, Sporting Life, may I add, who always is always fascinating. Who is always an always a sensational read. Who is your current selection for the Ark? Uh, I, I would be with a day uh, for sure. Uh, he's um, progressing really well, I think. Uh, I, I've loved him since he ran in the classic trialer in the season at Sandown. And uh, he, he he just really caught the eye that day, making relentless headway. Don't know why he got beaten in the Lingfield trial, but uh, he proved at Ascot that his win in the Derby, his impressive win in the Derby was no fluke. And uh, I just see him getting better and better. Now, I appreciate that the Phillies have a very good record in the arc. And it, it, I think it's hard to be dogmatic about it because it is such a good arc on paper at the moment mm. this year. And Snowfall is just one of what appears to be four and if you include St. Mark's Basilica, five really top-class contenders. So you just have to see how things play out. Adair's probably going to run in the pre-Niel on Arc Trials Day. Whether that will be a truly run contest <laughs> remains to be seen. But, um, you know, they like her run there. It's the right timing. Um, uh, whether a crawler might have to make his own running. I mean, Snowfall, she made the running in the uh, Musadora, but she hasn't made the running in either of her Oaks wins. Yeah. I don't you know. There's, there's, there's no issue. She's looked better uh, being ridden, you know, in behind. And uh, I'm only trying to put it into context because – Nobody could, nobody in their right mind would say that she hasn't been incredibly impressive in winning two classics oh. uh, by wide margins. That, that's Aiden ringing you to say, I hey, 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 hey. Um, I'll just, um, I'll just, uh, I'll ring them back a bit. Yeah, that was cool. More wondering what size my cap, uh, <laughs> my, my no, nay, never cap, which is on the way. Uh, Kevin's been listening in. Um, so um, you couldn't, um, you you can't argue with Snowfall's um, 
you know, evident talent. Yeah. All I'm saying is that she's beaten divinely twice, who couldn't get near to Wonderful Tonight, and the Lily Langtrim was probably beaten about the same distance by Wonderful Tonight as she was beaten by Snowfall in the Irish Oaks. And that come Art Day, if Snowfall ends up there, it's going to be a, a different a race, a different gravy race, put it that way. It's going to be absolute top class and you're going to have some serious rivals and we, we started off this conversation talking about wonderful tonight and she too is right in there because she thrives she's been thriving and she's got a great record in france and if you get the normal cut in the ground that you get on art day she's going to be a major player I'm nearly being talked around into backing Wonderful Tonight at this point. Uh, but but currently my only bet is St. Mark's Basilica, who may very well end up being a non-runner. But um, yeah, yeah. And, and you're 100% right to be questioning Snowfall, by the way. Uh, 100% right to be. What was your highlight of Goodwill? You had, you had the optimum position to be up in the commentary booth. I know that um, you were getting drenched, as you said at the start, doing a piece for camera. However, up in the commentary booth... Uh, and indeed, for the entire week, what was your your highlight of Glorious Goodwood 2021? Well, I think the race of the week was the the Nassau Stakes. Uh, with all due respect to Alcohol Freeze winning the Sussex Stakes, uh, it was the big story of the week. Lady Bothorps win. Um, it, it was a, a story that uh, had everything really. A, a mare that had been unlucky uh, coming back and getting a deserved win at the highest level the backstories of the trainer and the jockey and indeed the owner, a high profile owner as well. So that was clearly, I think, the race of the week and the story of the week. And you couldn't fail to be impressed by Baid, uh, but um, with the proviso that he's obviously going to be taking on uh, better horses in the future rather than two horses that chased him home that were dropping back in distance and that were both readily outpaced. So he is the potential star. A wonderful tonight. Wasn't at her best, I don't think, in the Lily Langtree because she over-raced and it was a mile and six in really tough ground. It wasn't a race that really set up ideally for her, but as another stop off on the road to Longchamp it was ideal in that respect and uh, he, he's he's got it all planned out I think David Monise to, to have her absolutely spot on uh, by the end of by the uh, beginning of October so um, I think those were the highlights Emma. and I absolutely love the way you summed that up as well Simon Holt it has been a pleasure looking back on a glorious week of racing, pardon the pun, and uh, shout out again to Kevin Buckley, uh, listening in on WhatsApp and uh, getting you sized up already. He's, send, he's sending the tailors over, getting you sized up for your No Name Ever jacket and your No Name Ever Coolmore hat. Uh, My Coolmore gilet, I'm looking forward to it. And uh, I'm just going to get Kevin, that was, that was Kevin incidentally, the numbers just come up, so I'm just going to ring him back now. Excellent, so Kevin Buckley will be sorting, he'll be sorting, yeah. first of all he's bollocking you, but don't you be slagging off Snowfall, <laughs> and also telling you that you'll be getting your, your, yeah. your um, no name never hat. Uh, it's a, been an absolute pleasure uh, recapping a fantastic week's racing with you, and uh, thoroughly enjoyed it, and I know that our listeners will have to uh, Simon Holt. Uh, you can read his column on the Sporting Life, and of course, hear Simon uh, commentating. When are you next in the commentary booth? Uh, Sandown on uh, Thursday night, and then I have the pleasure of trying to work out the colours on Shogar Cup Day at uh, Ascot on Saturday. 
Ooh, have fun with that. <laughs> I, I can promise you they completely scramble the brain because the colours are so indistinctive from one another. Uh, but at least the jockeys wear uh, a, a, their own coloured cap during during the card. So um, um, anyway, um, uh, I shall start preparing for that probably in about 10 minutes' time. Uh, six, six handicaps, just the six of them. Uh, no, actually, it's a, it's a, it is a fun day. I don't know what crowd they're going to get uh, this year uh, at Ascot, whether they've had time to sell the tickets, but normally you get 30,000 people there on Shergar Cup Day, and uh, they put an awful lot into it, a lot of other entertainments beside the racing, and uh, which I think you've got to do these days and, and, and ask her to do a, you know, a fantastic job. And I'm not saying that uh, because I like commentating at Ascot <laughs> and uh, it, they, they are very professional and they've got the facilities to make it happen. It's my, f- I love Sandown. I love the Curra. I love Leopardstown. I love Goran, my local track. Ascot is just, it's so, it's, a, it, it's incredible. It's an incredible race course to be at and it's an incredible facility to be in as well. I mean, you, you walk in and it's the size of an airport. It's just, it's so impressive. And it's, um, the track is, is fantastic to be at as well. Uh, and the atmosphere there, the atmosphere is just electric. I love it. I really do. Um, so six handicaps worth 42,000 pounds each. And Haley Turner confirmed, um, as she will be trying to add to her success for the girls' team in 2015 and uh, 2018 as well. But um, Simon's head will be melting as he tries to work out the colours on the day as well. And, uh, of course, you can see that uh, on ITV and on Sky Sports Racing as well. Uh, speaking of Sky Sports Racing, just very briefly, and I'm, kind of, I'm throwing under the bus here now. Um, yeah, go on. The Racing League. What did yes. You, what did you make of the Racing League? Well, I didn't see it because I was at Goodwood and um, I, th- I thought that was a strange decision to launch it uh, during such a big meeting. Why do and that? Why not wait a week? I, I, don't, I don't know, but I, was, I would say that was a mistake. Um, I, I can't really comment because I didn't see it and I have to reserve judgment on it. My feeling is that it looks a bit too complicated having 12 teams that that is going to be hard for people watching to get their head round and whether they're actually going to um, have an allegiance to one team or not. I suspect that's going to be uh, difficult to um, to drum up that excitement and um, that sort of parochialism. Um, so it's a beginning, though, and from the industry's point of view, and just the same with the Skybet Sunday series, which is running every two weeks at the moment. It's just great that you've got some investment in the sport and some decent prize money. Well, the, and the and s- British racing sorely needs it. It's, it's the big issue. Uh, it, it overshadows every other issue, in my opinion. The funding of this sport is absolutely crucial. It, it matters for livelihoods throughout the sport. And while the BHA are uh, looking at other things, having whip consultations and all sorts, of, and then they've got to worry about welfare Jesus. as well as as a result of the panorama, they pale into insignificance these issues compared to the funding. It's absolutely crucial because at the moment, British racing is so badly funded. It's embarrassing, absolutely embarrassing when you've got races worth a couple of grand, which is about what what it would normally cost to keep a horse in training for a month. Well, that is, well that is a joke. 
And, and it is, it's an embarrassment that needs to be addressed very quickly. And it's an embarrassment that needs to be focused on far more than any issue with uh, the Prokush, uh, as Dave Yates calls it, uh, and, and any issue with um, uh, the Panorama documentary that I actually think blew up in their faces. I think people saw past it. And um, I really think British racing should ignore that. Because, first of all, it was more, it was no, more of a... I think it's... it's- it's right that they should concentrate on welfare issues, but as as you say, as you suggest, it, it wasn't really an attack on racing per se. It was a it was a, a I think we discussed this at the last the last time, mm. but it was really exposing an abattoir yeah. with um, with uh, uh, and alleging cruelty as well at an abattoir. An abattoir, and also, and also asking the questions why why horses that were lame and injured, had to travel travel all the way from Ireland to an abattoir in Swindon, which yeah. is baffling. So they weren't strictly horse racing issues, day-to-day horse racing issues, but it's still important, of course, that the industry takes responsibility for what happens to horses at the end of their racing careers. And I think in that respect, um, I can't speak for Irish racing, but certainly in Britain, a lot of effort has been made to improve the coverage in terms of keeping in touch with horses. And obviously, we're going to have to have some sort of uh, uh, system where uh, you can trace a, trace a horse wherever he goes. It's not going to be easy. Tracing a horse, rather like when you buy a second-hand car and you can tell who the owners were before that, mm. it's not going to be easy in some cases. But overall, uh, through various initiatives, notably with the retraining of racehorses um, uh, scheme, uh, which takes a little bit of money from every entry, then they've provided the incentive for these horses. That didn't really come out very well in the programme. In fact, um, one one lady who works at a rehabilitation centre said that they still didn't get enough money. Well, that needs looking into, doesn't it? Money is very important. Money, 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 you know, it makes the world go round. And, you know, racing is a little bit too short of it, considering, you know, the amount of investment that goes into this sport. It's astonishing you know, how poor off it is. It's, it's absolutely appalling. And, um, uh, but as you said, like there's an awful lot of money involved in the sport and it, it doesn't make sense. That documentary was a joke. Um, by all means, the BHA and, uh, HRI need to look at welfare and to ensure that racehorses are being looked after. Um, Gordon Elliott has again uh, been dragged through the mud in the sense that Isaac Sweet and Sam Munir have removed what horses were left at his yards. That's another high-profile owner ownership that have left the yard, um, with Chiefly Park having done so and others uh, having quietly moved their horses as well, which uh, really only came to light during during Cheltenham. Of course, I said this on Twitter and got bollocked by an Irish journalist uh, or a supposed journalist who's in the know, and uh, clearly isn't. But anyway, um, what can you do? That's what Twitter's for, Simon, isn't it? Just like bollocking people uh, for, um, for for saying something that's an actual fact. Uh, but I, you know, I don't like the fact that, that Gordon got kind of then dragged through the mud in that sense, because, like, it's the... It's the agent. It's the trader. It's the, it's who the BBC referred to as this respectable racehorse trader. Name him. Name him or her. 
and throw them out of the game. Um, and a quick mention, by the way, for the Irish Horse Welfare Trust, who do remarkable work with racehorses, and their funding during COVID, of course, has fallen to basically nothing. So the Irish Horse Welfare Trust, they're good people, they're great people, um, they do amazing work, and they need support. So if you can, Irish Horse Welfare Trust, look them up online uh, and give them your support. Um, I very much like the uh, Sunday series. Uh, I particularly like the fact that there is gravy being handed out for horses that are not necessarily top tier on a Sunday. As for the racing league, like yourself, actually, I didn't see it, um, so I can't comment on it either. But uh, I was aghast at the fact that they started it in the middle of Galway and Goodwood. What the hell? um, What are you doing? I think, yeah, one thing that should be, I think the Sunday series has, um, it hasn't pleased everybody because of its, the the fact the races are going off late, but it it has a massive advantage over the racing league in that it's got terrestrial television. Yeah. And so it's going to have a a huge audience compared to the racing league on on Sky Sports. And uh, also, it's just a simpler sort of uh, concept, isn't it? You know, it's just racing with prizes to the the trainer that's most successful, the jockey that's most successful over the series. It's not this attempt at turning racing into a team sport. And we've seen this happen before. And as I say, I, I shouldn't condemn it because I think we should reserve judgment until it comes to the end of the, the series, the Racing League series, and then the they're bound to look at it and tinker with it. And it's great that we've got this investment, but in the past team-based points series haven't really worked in horse racing like they work in say Formula One, for example, but the Skybet series does have this massive advantage of terrestrial television and the audience difference is just huge. Uh, so, um, and, and doubtless the racing league at some stage in the future, if, they, if it's maintained, would love ITV to be interested. But I think ITV were interested initially, and then they sort of went a bit cool on the on the project. Whereas the Sunday series, they're throwing a lot at it, and that's good news. Yeah, it is good news. Can I just be, before you go, because you've been incredibly kind with with your time, and uh, and for that matter, with your insight as well. And I think notes have been taken aplenty by. Final Forum podcast listeners. Uh, I was contacted by... I don't want to say how many. I'm certainly not going to say by who. uh, Trainers in the UK who were not contacted to be part of the Racing League. And they were very offended by that. Greatly offended by it. And by that, other trainers and other owners were then offended by the fact that they weren't. Um, they weren't contacted. Uh, that that their friends essentially. You know, they're obviously rivals on track, but they're friends. And the racing community is a very tight knit community. So when people started to hear, oh, so and so wasn't wasn't invited. By the way, neither was him. Neither was she. Uh, that didn't go down very well. Um, and also, you talked about the the viewing figures. Could you give me an example of? I think it's 244,000 watched the Sunday series on ITV, um, obviously on Sunday. Uh, how many people on, would have been watching on Sky for the Racing League, give or take? Uh, I, wouldn't, I wouldn't have thought it would be much above 40. Um, 40,000? 40, 
yeah, I would I would think it would be around about that. Um, but I should just clarify. I mean, there's obviously a there's a difference of opinion amongst those trainers that, that believe they weren't approached by the national the national league, the racing league. Um, uh, because the racing league um, uh, organisers uh, claim that they they held seminars, they sent out emails to all licensed trainers. There were seminars in different parts of the country, including in the north of Doncaster. So clearly, there's a, a difference of opinion as to whether trainers were properly contacted or not. Some some trainers said they weren't, but uh, obviously some were because they're taking part. Yeah, absolutely. Um, look, maybe it's a spam folder issue. Maybe check your spam folder, but... Well, check the spam. Yeah, that's right. Like no. like I said, uh, I spoke to a number of trainers last week. I, I was surprised, actually, by uh, the number. It's not, it's, not, it's not like a gigantic number of, of uh, trainers, but um, there were some who were onto me, either direct messaging me or calling me saying, or, or WhatsApping me saying, we weren't invited. So, uh, yeah. You, yeah, well, I don't, I don't know what's happened because the organisers of the race, and I don't help, you know, I'm not waving a flag for them, but they, no. they I think they did, did make a, a big effort to contact everybody. Yeah. So, and, and that's what, that, that's what they right. say, and that is their official stance. And uh, yeah. you kind of have to take them at the word. But then again, you also have these trainers who have also taken to social media, media to say, we weren't yeah. asked. We, so, yeah. you know. Who knows? But um, who knows? Who for, knows, Alan? 40,000 40, viewers. Uh, I'm delighted. I mean, that's an estimate. I mean, uh, I would say that would be um, about it for the for an evening meeting. Um, the, I, the two channels here, Racing TV and, and Sky Sports Racing, probably get quite similar um, audiences. I think there's uh, last time I was told, I think it was about 50,000 subscribers to Racing TV. Um, and obviously, they're not all watching at the same time. Mm. Um, normally and um, I think Sky Sports Racing is, is fairly similar yeah um, I think but I've... you see it just emphasises the value of terrestrial television it and, really does um, you know it really is so important for the sport and and racing is very lucky to have the amount of terrestrial coverage compared to many other sports um, you know other other sports that are uh, not not um, getting that sort of that exposure and racing, you know, is, is fighting for its position in the sports market as it, as it is. You know, there's a, uh, a lot of innovation going on in other sports like cricket and the football, of course, is, is the number one, is like a, like a religion. And racing is, is perceived in some areas, I think, as a little bit anachronistic, as the, the, uh, the divorce between the urban and the rural and the, the lack of uh, any sort of... Um, contact with horses per se i think racing uh is is struggling to hold its place so the fact that it's still got terrestrial tv and i'm bound to say i think itv have done a really good job well uh, and they've kept the audiences coming in and on the big days they get into the uh, millions then that's that's fantastic it's, it's very important for the sport and they're there every weekend whereas in ireland we don't have that at all. Or to you, well, they are. Or to you, only show are. up if it's a big day. They they've shown. I mean, of course, I was with Channel Four Racing, and that and they have a, a heavier schedule than uh, we we used to do. And I think we used to cover um, getting on for a hundred days a year, maybe ninety. But I think ITV do a little bit more. So uh, 
they put in a big effort. Yeah. And uh, racing, as I say, has been very lucky over the years to maintain terrestrial television coverage, particularly that Channel 4 then picked up the baton when BBC, the BBC dropped out. Um, after that, uh, Grand National, and um, and uh, that was a that was a tremendous time personally because uh, when the BBC dropped racing, uh, it Channel Four picked it up, and we we literally covered every big race in the country. You got it all. You got we, everything. We, we had it all, just as um, just as um, ITV do now. And you know, it, long may it continue. And there are some threats to the terrestrial TV coverage. We've got these these various uh, checks and balances now on the gambling industry. And uh, should there be some sort of um, uh, restriction on gambling advertising in the future, well, that would be pretty serious yeah, in terms would... of ITV's revenue from, from racing. So there are threats around. There's all these affordability checks as well, um, which uh, could have an impact on the gambling industry. So um, we can't take it for granted, but it, it's been a major positive for racing that they've had, that the sport has had terrestrial TV coverage on such a, a level for so long. Yeah. I mean, to put it in context, and I, I'm not being funny here, but um, the the amount of viewers that you said Sky would get for the Racing League equates to the amount of, we, we actually have more, um, would acqu- account for the amount of listeners to the Final Forum podcast mm. per episode. And it would actually be more than that. Now, there's a there's a caveat there, Simon, uh, which is that we've, first of all, we've gone through a, a situation where Irish racing's gone behind a paywall. And I like racing TV, and I like their coverage. And I quite like racing TV plus, and the fact that I can go on Apple TV and just put that on and have the different screens and you can watch Lydia and um, Jonathan Neeson or whoever it is that happens to be beside her uh, giving you the full rundown on, on horses and the same for Nick and the same for Jane Mangan and uh, and Gary O'Brien. I actually text Jane Mangan um, on the, was it the Thursday of, uh, of Galway to compliment her and just what a brilliant job Racing TV were doing. Uh, in covering um, Galway, it was just so enjoyable to watch, and um, I think Jane and, and Gary get on very well, and hopefully we'll have Gary on the show uh, pretty soon. But um, you know, they they do an excellent job, and whether you want to pay that subscription or not, that look that's up to you. Um, but racing costs a lot. You, know, you got to pay for the racing post. You have to pay for racing TV. You have to pay for, for for Sky for a certain package to get Sky Sports Racing. And so, and we've also gone through COVID. And during that, the American audience increased significantly because you have expats who can't get home and miss home and they want to hear British voices and Irish voices mm-hmm. and uh, also hear about their, their favorite sport, horse racing. Um, and our listenership has increased in Australia as well, which of course is is filled with British and Irish expats. Um, but the UK and Irish audience has significantly increased, and it's significantly increased because of the fact that there are occasions where you can't see some some listeners just can't see racing, and this show is free. So that that's the only thing that I can say to you as to what and podcasts have increased significantly. I mean, Spotify or 
buying up podcasts and podcast agencies and marketing agencies to promote podcasts. They're buying them up left, right, and center. They're gobbling mm-hmm. them up. Apple have started buying up podcast agencies and uh, investing in them because they, they go, look, long-form audio content is the way forward. And we're ble- I'm blessed. We're blessed to have the listenership that we have and the fantastic listeners that we have. Uh, I'm, I'm incredibly grateful for it, but it's um, it, it is it is remarkable, and I think listeners, some listeners, very much rely on you, Simon, breaking down a race, or Rory, or Kate, or Lucy, or uh, Tom Bull, and giving their opinion, and Jess Stafford, and talking about the the breeding side of things and what's going to happen next in order to stay in tune with with the sport um but i would also say that the the digital revolution will continue not only with audio but also with visual in that hopefully things are getting better and the more people can subscribe to racing tv and you're just if you do you're surrounded by endless amounts of content and um Endless amounts of race replays. You can watch racing live on there, and there's all the race replays. Why am I doing a free advert for racing TV? It's just... Yeah, yeah. So, yeah. I mean, the thing is, it is, a, it is expensive, though, for a lot of people. Yeah, you know, yeah, I, it is. You know, it's, um, uh, I think it's... Is it about £240? No, it's more than that. I think it's... Is it about £30 a month or something like that? Um, so it is... But, but I would say... and. Uh, I mean, I don't, I don't really have any allegiance in either camp because the commentaries go out according to whichever course is covered by which of course, station. Yeah. Yeah. I work for Sky Sports Racing and Racing TV in that sense. Um, but um, I, I would say, and I, and I definitely would include the Irish coverage on this, that um, the, the quality of the broadcasters is very high. Oh, that's fantastic. I, I really do think so, and uh, but particularly the special, the specialist broadcast. It, ITV is a slightly different approach because it's a general audience. They've always got to remember that that um, a lot of people tuning in are just on ITV, and they and they probably don't have the appreciation of the sport, which by definition anyone that's willing to pay for a subscription to racing TV is going to have quite a strong interest and therefore a decent knowledge of the sport. So there's no way that um, it's less likely that somebody like Lydia Hislop um, is going to be speaking over their heads. Whereas I think on ITV, you know, they have to be a little, as we used to on channel four, and it was obviously a bit knockabout at times because I do believe that it should be an entertainment. Absolutely. hundred um, percent. And in my role, I also think that there should be an element of performance in it. I mean, I said um, last week, i just give you a brief example. When Baid won, oh, this could be a superstar. Yeah. Well, you know, to be honest, he's not there yet, is he? <laughs> he's not there because, you know, he, he hasn't beaten super other good horses. You know, he beat he beat um, two horses that were dropping back in trip who he should have beaten well. He was odds-on favourite to do it. But I, did, I think a bit of hype... Is it's not everybody's cup of tea that there's hype, but I think it does engender a bit more excitement to the game. Could it be? It's like any sport. There's always a bit of hype and what's going to happen. And 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 I think it's all part of just creating that anticipation and excitement. And, yeah. and uh, in my role, you know, a little bit of performance aside from the very necessary uh, requirement to be accurate. 
I listen to the listen to the hype that Al Michaels does on uh, Sunday Night Football and NBC. Yeah, you know, for for the NFL, like Al Michaels is always hyping up the NFL and hyping up the Super Bowl and hyping up players as well that may not actually. Like you can equate to Baid. You can have a, a player coming in from college football who is now in in the big leagues in the NFL and hyping this guy up, and he could be traded to another team and gone out of the league in in three seasons. But that's what the American broadcasters do. And in a way, it's it's exactly as you say. It's the entertainment factor. You kind of have to do that. And look, we're not. That's one of the things that we do on the final furlong. We're very relaxed and we try to be entertaining. We never, we never try to patronize our audience, um, and and if we do, that's certainly never the intention. And but but what we want most of all is to be informative. And the analysis that you have given, and the opinions, and uh, and the thoughts of Jim Crowley and Oshin Murphy that we've had at the start of the show are an example of that. And um, I I hope that people, I hope that our listeners like it. But the one. The one thing you could say about hype is that it's going to stimulate debate. Exactly. Exactly. Whether a horse is overhyped, is he is he as good as they make out? Is that one a bit better than people think? And um, essentially, that's what your podcast is all about. It's about debate. It's about having an opinion. And people at home can um, judge for themselves. And judge for yourself. On Glorious Goodwood and the opinions of Simon and myself and the thoughts of Jim Crowley and Oshie Murphy and my huge thanks uh, to all the contributors today. What a show. Superstar commentator, Simon Holt. An absolute legend. Simon, a pleasure as always, my friend. Thank you so, so much for coming on the show again. And uh, please, God, we look forward to, to talking to you again soon. It was a pleasure. And a huge thanks to Jim Crowley and to Oshin Murphy, and to you for listening as well, because this is, compared to this time last year, our biggest year to date in terms of listeners in the UK and Ireland. And then when we look at the international markets, particularly in America as well. So if you're in the US, if you're in Australia, if you're in Dubai, hello and thank you for listening. We very much appreciate it. And uh, that, for that matter, Spain as well. Hello, Spain. Um, hope you're all well. Uh, la siento. No hablo mucho español. Uh, that's it. We are back to review Galway with Tom Bull a little bit later on. And we have a special show for you coming out on Thursday. Uh, that's all going to be done by Tuala. And uh, Twitter will be done by Tuala as well, our producer, because I'm off. Uh, I'm off, baby. Uh, we got a wedding to go to, Simon. Uh, sorry, when I say we, I mean myself and my friends. Uh, not you, Simon. Apologies. Uh, but uh, we got a wedding to go to, baby. Uh, Jerk Kelly getting married. Um, to the uh, to the most beautiful woman in the world, Paula Dean. It's going to be some celebration. I can't wait. You know why, Simon? Because we actually get to go out. We get to leave our caves oh. and go outside and celebrate, folks. Uh, so enjoy uh, the Galway review. I hope you've enjoyed this show as well. Uh, a five-star rating on uh, your Apple podcast or whatever podcast app you're using would be greatly appreciated. Uh, Simon Holt, Jim Crowley, and Oshin Murphy giving you their thoughts. Massive show. Maybe one of the biggest of the year that we've done so far. Thoroughly enjoyed it. Hope you did too. Be safe. Have a great week. Thank you for listening. God bless. The Final Furlong Podcast is proudly brought to you by Tote. Think you can't get better value? Think again. 10% bigger dividends when you bet direct with Tote Plus at tote.co.uk.
Hmm. The first taste of rare bourbon you finally got your hands on. That's nice. At Caskers.com, we make this experience easy. Caskers is a one-stop spirit curator with an impressive selection of exclusive sought-after rare and household names in the realm of premium spirits and champagne. Discover the top flavors of the year now by going to Caskers.com and using code WELCOME10 for $10 off your first purchase. Get $10 off your first purchase with code WELCOME10 at Caskers.com.